Okay, so here's me talking at a wall again. Awesome. A little bit less weird uh, than the other time. Uh, anyway, so the I wanted to just cover a topic before I get into the actual episode because I don't want to hijack the episode, uh, which is J.P. Walker. Uh, and this is actually an important topic that I want to talk about just quickly is, and we've decided, so Clayton, the guy who's helping direct me through this thing, we've actually talked, uh, the topic that's come up quite a bit is political correctness or being non-politically correct. And we're actually going to do a whole episode on it because it's actually really important. So this interview was shot actually a year and a half ago, I think March 3rd, uh, 2018 and something like that. And I noticed that when I listened to it again, there was, uh, there, yeah, there's some, there's some, there's, I won't talk about JP, but me, there's some language around, I'm describing this therapist and I'm describing her like, well, you'll hear whatever, but I describe her as being, I think fat or bad style and whatever. And I would say that that could definitely be considered politically incorrect. It, uh, and it could also be like, it, it, I'm not aiming to be politically incorrect and I'm not aiming to be politically correct. What I'm actually aiming for is to be Sean correct. <laughs> like what, what's okay with me. And, and I actually believe my body will tell me and you know, at the time back then, I think I was pissed. And now I'm like, when I listened to it, it felt gross. Like my body, I felt shitty. I was like, oh, that, that didn't feel right. Like what, what's that about? And it was like, oh yeah, you actually do give a shit. Like I actually do give a shit about people. And I actually think that like, oh shitty, if someone heard that and they are overweight or have bad style, whatever that even means, that they might hear that and hurt themselves with it or get hurt or that think that I'm saying that, oh, if you're overweight, you're not worth anything and da, da, da. And that's not what it was. I was just being reactive. Um, cause I was still pissed cause I was scared when that shit went down. So yeah, I just want to say that. And then basically that incident really was one of the major catalysts for this podcast is to, you know, educate people, um, around going out and getting help or working on themselves and then, and you know, how vulnerable of a place that can be and to be treated as such. Yeah. I mean, I could go into that much more, but I just wanted to say that. And then, um, yeah, I probably just took way too long explaining a very simple thing. So if I was to go back in time and actually take that exact same instance and say to JP, telling him the story of what I know now is what I would actually say was, man, when I was talking to this therapist, I was so scared. And by that time I had tried everything in my power to try and get out of this depressive state. So I had done tons of yoga, tons of exercise, tons of gratitude, breathing courses. Like I just was tapped out. And so I think what I was actually I think I was so terrified that I was going to be stuck like this the rest of my life that I was actually like looking at everybody and everything under a fine microscope to see if this person could even see that this is the work that I've been doing on myself. Cause this person didn't, they were just like, you have a chemical imbalance, blah, blah, blah. So, and it actually was, um, the best thing that happened. Cause I kept looking and then ended up coming across, I did find someone who actually walks the talk as far as a way of that I would like to live my life. And that was 
Paul Check. And when I finally worked with Paul um, and he was telling me stuff about myself, I could actually listen because I was actually looking at him and I could relate to him because I'm like, okay, this guy actually sees that I've been doing all this other stuff, which is also very important. And then he was able to tap in on, okay, there's this one thing. And we can talk about that another time, but that's, that's pretty much the gist of it. And, and actually this, this podcast is, it's pretty cool. It's getting me to, to like, I had this thing that I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm not politically correct, then I have to be politically incorrect and I have to say stuff that pisses people off and I don't give a fuck what I say and fuckity fuck. And it's like, actually, that's not what I want to do. What I actually want to do is like I said, be cool with me. And that's the only person I can you know, and, and like how I actually like to be is like to educate myself a little bit and, and learn. And I'm actually curious about learning about, um, language and millennials and all this stuff that's going on. So anyway, here's me very much not trying to be perfect. I don't want to be perfect. And, uh, and also, yeah, when I catch myself with stuff, I want to own it and do something about it. And that's me. Yeah. Setting you up for this podcast. All right. That was way too long. Anyone can learn anything they want. It's all in your head. You just got to spend time on it. What the hell is really going on here? Aloha. To find myself. My mind is a garden. I skateboard, but I'm an artist. I love art and I love you. All right. So... Now that I've gotten me out of the way, now we can concentrate on JP. And uh, I just, I don't want to talk too much because our interview is actually quite long. Um, a lot of it's just pretty nostalgia, it's going through stuff pretty funny. And then I think you heard some in the intro, but the part that I really want to get across that a lot of people I think don't know about JP is that he has this nickname, The Dawn. I think a lot of people know that they see The Dawn as in, you know, he's the Dawn of like, you know, whatever, the Godfather basically. And I think it was misinterpreted and misunderstood how he actually got that name. Cause how he actually got that name was, I think it was like Travis Kennedy and, and, uh, Stevie Bell and Jake Welsh and, and I think Blavel and Cole and those guys. And when they came all into the forum thing, their minds just kind of got blown at how much knowledge JP had about everything. Like, you know, he has generators and and lights stashed in different places all over the world <laughs> and he knows spots and gps is like he is he's actually by far the most on point intelligent person i've ever met when it comes to like handling stuff and getting things handled as a professional and this is what people don't know is that he's willing to share that information with anybody who's on his crew so he was just like dumping knowledge on these guys and so they called him the dawn it wasn't because jp goes around thinking he's the shit it's actually because he was super generous with all his information and knowledge and he would share all that stuff with those guys yeah that's that that's important for me to say that because i think a lot of people misunderstood that and that's jp never went yeah i'm the dawn (laughs) he wouldn't do that it's pretty funny and he actually has a pretty good sense of humor about himself and that so anyway here's his uh interview and yeah like year and a half ago and me being politically incorrect and probably him too and not being perfect and i think there's actually a bigger message underneath let's mm-hmm. pick a story to talk about dude which All one right. 
which one is, oh, is the question? <laughs> well, I guess I guess the the, fir- the the a good one for the context of this is just the um about the first time. I don't know if it was the first time we met or. I can tell you about the first time we met. Okay, do that. that. I think we met. Okay, do it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you'd already been hired to just shoot Devin up here for technical difficulties. And so, and I was working on technical difficulties too, but I hadn't actually come up and shot anything with you. But I think for some reason, we met at, everyone is in San Clemente at Steve Ruff's house. Does this ring a bell? At yeah, all? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, so I, I don't know why we were there. Just maybe some kind of team meeting or something, whatever it was. Um, because that was just a Mac Dog production. It wasn't a forum video, but we were there, and I think you were there. Immediately, <laughs> it was just like you guys want to get a Mellow Six. Like you're trying to push this Mellow Six agenda up on, especially me and Jeremy, because <laughs> I think he just saw us as these two like Mormon kids from Utah, even though we weren't. <laughs> So just like, I got to target in on these guys, you know, and I knew who you were, but I didn't, I hadn't met you or anything. And I didn't know, I didn't really know anything about you as far as, I guess I just knew probably from whiskey video about you, but I didn't really, I hadn't heard any stories really about you because the people that I rolled with, no one really knew you. So it wasn't like, oh, Kearns is going to be down there or this about Kearns, that about Kearns or whatever. So I just see this guy, a Canadian guy, <laughs> talking about you guys want to get a mellow six. And I, don't, I have no idea what that means, you know. I think within probably the first five minutes of you like sweating us about going and getting beers because it was probably like noon or 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that, um, you'd kind of got me to agree that when I turned a certain age, I would drink a certain amount of beers with you. Uh, do you remember that? I do remember 30. <laughs> yeah, I think so it was when you're 30, 30 like, because I think you were just like, you're trying to grind on me and I wouldn't crack, you know, because I was just like, I'm just here for the weekend, like with the forum guys doing my thing. Like, who's this guy from Canada trying to peer pressure me as if I haven't gone through that before? You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, I'll just like tell this guy whatever he needs to hear to leave me alone. <laughs> and then never thinking like, I'd see you again, probably, you know? So like, oh, if I just agree to this, like when I turn 30, I'll drink 26. I don't know how many beers was it? What would it be? 30 beers or something? A case. I think it was like, <laughs> a, when you turn case. 30, you got to split a case with me. I, I like, remember I that. was like, sure, dude, fucking. And I fully shook on it. <laughs> and I, and I am a man of like my, my word, you know, like I do like hold bets and shakes like that seriously, you know? So I'm probably 21 at the time. So I'm like, as if I'm going to, First of all, even be snowboarding when I'm 30. (laughs) This guy's even going to be alive when I'm 30. Or I'm even going to be alive when I'm 30. (laughs) So that was just a no-brainer to shake on that bet and be done with it. You know what I mean? And then like... A couple movies later, mellow decade later, I think like I don't I don't think we actually ever fulfilled that that bet. Yeah, that's something I wanted to talk it, to you about, it, dude. Yeah, <laughs> now that you got me here, <laughs> that's actually what this so, is about. <laughs> so that that was my first introduction to you, you know. And then we obviously did an up shooting a bit for technical difficulties that year later in the springtime when I came up to Canada, and I'm I'm sure that when I came back up, it was the same like. 
so hey about that uh, <laughs> about that bet you know what i mean like that came up a lot the first few years we hung out it wasn't like really? that just first few years or years. first years i would say years i don't i don't it wasn't something that like you forgot about after that trip oh, about the 30 about the about the, about the about bet. turning 30 and getting the bet yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so that was like something that kept coming up and like oh like oh, how old are you getting oh only like <laughs> six more years or whatever you know <laughs> so it was um Kind of stressful because <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to do that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah. But like, and I'd be I, like holding you to it. Yeah, because because I would do it, you know, because I did shake shake on it, and it it obviously started shaping up that like we were friends and like that I was gonna be around you when I was thirty, and what that time would actually come, you know. Yeah. So. Not that I'm stressed to drink a case or nothing, but it's just <laughs> funny that like I never planned on it, but it actually is doable now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still pending with interest. I it think. is. It is pending with interest. I don't know. I, I wonder what that, I don't even know what that would have been about, except that, I mean, it's it, it just that, I think that like whenever anybody doesn't do anything, like I just, like for me to, 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 to go, to go away from something uh, or something I don't do is like my answer in life is just always like, well, if I'm scared or I don't want to do that, just head straight towards it and do it and get it over with. You know what right. I mean? So I don't know what I was thinking in those days, except I don't even know whether it was like misery likes company or whatever, but, um, I didn't figure it out. So that I, I actually want to fast forward to the first time that we actually did film together, which would have been like the way I remember it is that it was for technical difficulties. Mm -hmm. I was working for dog or I think I was doing day rates and you were, is, I think Roberta lived down on like third or something like that, mm -hmm. that apartment or whatever, mm -hmm. second or third. And mm -hmm. then I like went and picked you up and then I was like, Hey, let's go. Do you want to go up to Seymour and shoot something? And then did you already have, I can't remember, but that was that shot of you being on the, on the lift line, like you 50, yeah. 50, the lift line or whatever. Yeah. You shot that. Yeah. 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 So I shot that, but did you have that in mind or did we just go, go up no. to Seymour and just no. see what we can find? I think it was a go see what you can find thing. Cause I think we stopped actually halfway up the road and there's kind of like a little turnout where there's like a mini waterfall and there's like a shack there i don't know what it is it's on mm -hmm. the right if you're going yeah, up yeah like a, the salt shed or whatever salt yeah, shed, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah they get salt there and i remember like just kind of there must have been a ton of snow that year because it was in the spring but i remember like hey stop and i think i and dano i think was with us and i'm pretty sure i got out and hiked around and tried to get over on top of that waterfall to jump over it even if it was just for a photo because i'd never never been up seymour so i didn't yeah. really know what we were getting into but i was just like there's something right there like let's jump on that yeah and I think I wound my way through the trees over there and got to it and realized there's actually no way to even get off of it. And even if you could, there's nowhere to land. But uh -huh. it just looked, I think I remember Jeremy Jones had an old photo of him for Rev Snowboards jumping next to a waterfall. And I just thought that was cool. So that's why I saw that. And I like remembered that image of Jeremy. I was like, well, at least I can get a photo on this thing. And that's just how hungry I was back then. Like, oh, there's something I can get on their pullover. You know what I mean? Whether yeah. it's a photo or whatever, but that didn't work. So I remember we, that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. So then we continued up Seymour and I don't even know if that lift is still there or what, because that was, like I say, I wasn't familiar with the mountain at all, but there was a chairlift that was basically buried and the- Oh, is it a rope toe or was it, it was, a chairlift? It was a chairlift, chair but chair there was lift, no yeah. chairs on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was over- like it was, it would be kind of like if you came into the parking lot, it would be on the right, like right when you got in there, it wasn't over by mystery. It was somewhere else over there. Yeah. And I think that other people had actually built that already and were trying to 
fuck with it. Yeah, like get and, on it. Yeah, yeah. and we just kind of, I guess back then you could roll up on somebody's session and kind of take part of it because you were probably only one of 50 snowboarders and everyone in was- the world. Yeah, everyone was kind of <laughs> yeah. on the same agenda, you know? So it wasn't, you know, now if I'm like trying to get a clip and someone rolls up on me, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I'm like stressed. I don't, I don't want extra eyes. I don't want heat, anything, you know, yeah. but back then it was just like, Hey, like, what are you guys doing? Oh, can I take part of the session? Don't even know how that formulated, but it did. And I ended up jumping on that thing. And I, th I think I probably tried to lip slide at first and it didn't really work. Cause that cable actually like slides sideways kind of funny, but it did work for a 50, 50, but it's just funny because I just wrote it for a while and jumped off. There's no like definitive end to it. Yeah. It wasn't that sick, yeah. really, like looking at it now. But back then, the fact to see a snowboard on top of a chairlift cable, even though it was only like, probably where I got on was like five feet. And then I think it kind of climbed up. Yeah, because like the hill dropped or away or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So to like, because I guess as a snowboarder, you're always wanting to ride your snowboarder in anything. So to see a guy on a chairlift cable would be like, that would be sick if a guy could ride a chairlift cable. And then suddenly a guy was, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was the first thing I pretty sure we actually shot up there but first thing we shot together together right? yeah. yeah yeah i remember um and it was basically out of sheer des not desperation but just like trying to make something trying happen. to make something happen yeah. you know well that's that's funny because this is what i remember is is well first of all i think mitch was with us because we had to have someone hang up i remember when you tried to get on that thing it was like swaying back and forth or whatever it was bouncing yeah so basically we had to get someone to like hang off Anchor it like it monkey down. style yeah. off like further down the line to like hold weight I think and, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because at that point, yeah, like basically I was, I was, you know, coming off whiskey videos. Like that was like the year I started filming for that stuff. And I remember looking at that shack and I remember like, so the, it was funny because like you were like this kid who, from what I heard, like that's what I'd heard is like, if you even swear around this kid, he just cowers. Like he just like, he just, you can't even swear around him and like whatever. Right. Or, or Jeremy, like either yeah. one of those guys and that you're Mormon and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I'm like just coming off a mellow decade of smashing <laughs> shit, right? And basically hurting myself. But I remember something happened uh, that day for me between, because I remember like like both of us were like, let's try and do something. Like our work ethic and our focus and our motivation was like, let's get something done. We're here. Let's get something done. And that kind of, for me, overpowered the differences of, of a, a booze drinking bottle smashing maniac and this, this Mormon from Utah. Right. And then we started like, then we just started like kind of building on that, that momentum. And I don't know if it was that time for some reason. I mean, it's so long ago, dude. Like what's that? 20 years ago? Yeah. Like, for de real? Decade or uh, sorry that, well, decade came out in 98. So technical came after so 99. So, so yeah, basically 20, 20 years, years ago. Yeah. So I might not have the dates correct, <laughs> but I remember um, and maybe it was later, but I, I, we started building a friendship right away. Like I remember like, well, not right away, but like you were still kind of tripping. But the one thing we kept on having was we both wanted to get shots. I remember there was a difference for me of like, oh yeah, if I'm working, I'm not drinking. Those don't mix. Like that doesn't mix. And I remember that at one point you were like, uh, I, I, I said this to you last night. It was, um, I was like. I was like, I, I actually, rather than just trying to get you to drink a mellow six, which was never a mellow six ever, it always turned into a, a mellow six, always turned into a dirty dozen and a filthy two four. Uh, but the, the part that, that I remember is like, is like, I remember asking you, like, after I got to know you a little bit and we were hanging out, I was like, why don't you drink? Like, what's it up? What's up? And I remember you just, uh, the way I remember is just like, so like 
so completely clear of like, like I want to be the best snowboarder I can be. And what the fuck does drinking alcohol have to do with that? And it was just like pure, like it was conviction. It was like, there's mm -hmm. like, if you can basically explain to me how getting wasted is going to help me become the best snowboarder, then I'll do it. Right. But until you can do that, I don't see what it has to do with it. And this right. is what my focus is. And I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, I was like, I want to make the best snowboard movies. Like mm -hmm. I want to make the best snow, like I want to prove to myself, mostly to myself that I'm not just this booze loser. And that when I put my head to something, I can make the best or be really good at it. And so that was like something for me that I've always thought of the rest of my life. It's like, what the fuck, what, what does this have to do with me getting where I want to be? Right. And so I want to know about that. Like, did you like, and actually if you're, if you're into talking about it too, like, does that have anything to do with? Um, also like your dad and that situation, right. which I don't think a lot of people know about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure the situation with my dad, like he was an alcoholic. So I'm sure that that had to just weigh in on my thoughts about alcohol. You know what I mean? At the time, I don't know how much that was actually weighing in, but I just had like a, I guess almost like a revelation one day that I was just like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to become a better snowboarder. But that's one thing to say that. But what's crazier than that is to not do anything. How can I articulate this? To not do anything that's not going to move me in that direction is a lot harder to say than it is to do. So I don't know. It's just weird to have like such a strong conviction to do something that's like, I'm not, I'm basically not going to do anything unless it's going to help me become a better snowboarder. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And that's, that's a lot different than just like, I'm not going to do that because it doesn't seem like healthy or the right thing to do, you know? So I just had it in my head that like, well, I'm not going to do this, 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 or this, because none of those things help me become a better snowboarder. And I'm going to do these things because in my opinion, they might help me become a better snowboarder. And like to what you're saying, if for some reason I knew that drinking or anything was going to help me be a better snowboarder, I would do it because that's how focused I was on just becoming a better snowboarder, not to be like sponsored or pro or anything. I just wanted to become a better snowboarder, the best snowboarder I could be, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's hard to say how much of an influence the stuff with my dad was because he was, he was a good dad, I guess, you know, but it's like, I guess you either go down the same road or you don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just got lucky and didn't go down the same road, you know, like obviously like I experimented with all that stuff in like high school and everything, like a couple mellow LSD trips and some weed and stuff like that. So you but have I just, drank and you have done, yeah, like you yeah. did mess around with some stuff. Yeah, I did mess around, but it just like, and I was actually getting, like I was kind of getting into that lifestyle for a while. And then I was, I was hanging out with kind of the only guys that snowboarded in my neighborhood and they were starting to get more into weed and, and stuff like that, just mellow stuff, you know, and I was getting into it with them because they were basically like the only guys that snowboard and they were my ride to the mountain. And then I started hanging out with Jeremy Jones and Mitch Nelson, who Mitch was a hardcore Mormon, so he wasn't doing any of that stuff. And Jeremy was like a fairly good kid himself. He wasn't, I don't think he was really Mormon at the time though, but um, it just sort of happened that the original guys I was hanging out with were kind of getting more into like drinking and partying and uh -huh. getting stoned and snowboarding less. And Mitch and Jeremy were snowboarding more and not doing any of that stuff. So I just kind of naturally gravitated to their scene because I just liked snowboarding so much more coming from skateboarding and all that, you know? Yeah. So 
it just I I mean it's just a, I guess just a pivotal thing like it could have gone either way with just being like having an alcoholic dad and stuff like that but later on after I kind of like went down the road of like being sober and just trying to be focused and then seeing like if I had gone that other way and how how things were going with my dad because he just got worse and worse and worse until he like finally died you know he died from alcoholism he, basically like he got pancreatic cancer which is like from what I understand, like, you know, if you drink a lot of alcohol, you're, it turns to sugar eventually and your pancreas has to, like, produce insulin to deal with it. So it's like it kind of hammers your pancreas to, like, process that much alcohol, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it was funny because, well, it wasn't really funny, but, like, <laughs> kind of jumping forward. But it was 2007, and I remember because we just filmed, um, we finished filming for that. And they were going to start filming those forum and special blend videos. And I was supposed to go on a trip to uh, Montreal to like meet everyone to film handrails or something. Yeah. And he was, my dad was going to give me a ride to the airport and he came over to pick me up. And I, I, I know he, he was living alone at the time, so I didn't see him often. And he just happened to come over this time and he was like fully jaundiced. Like he was totally yellow. Like he looked like a Timberland boot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which normally is pretty sick, but not when it's your skin, you know? Yeah, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dude, gnarly, yeah. So I, I just, and I remember I was like packed, I was basically like zipping up my board bag and I look at him and I'm like, we're going to the hospital right now. He's like, I'm cool. <laughs> Dude, gnarly. <laughs> like full denial of like just what was happening, you know? So, mm-hmm. and I was, I, I, he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, I'll take you to the airport. And I'm like, no, like this is like so crazy to like look at him that beasted, you know? And he was like getting skinny and stuff. But now he's suddenly like fully yellow. So I just took him to the emergency room and they like just did a quick CAT scan on him. So it wasn't like a oncologist or something like read this stuff, but I'm sure the guy that reads CAT scans sees enough of this stuff come through to kind of make formulated opinion because they read it right there on the spot, you know? They're like, you have pancreatic cancer like there's a tumor on your pancreas that's pushing on something else like your bile duct and that's and it was stopping his bile from getting processed and that's why it was turning yellow Mm -hmm. but it was kind of funny because he was shocked that it wasn't his liver because turning jaundice is a side effect of like liver failure you know yeah so he was like you mean my liver's fine Really? Yeah. Like he, he was excited about the fact just that his liver was fine? He like, was just like, I'm sure he'd obviously known like it, it was going, his health was going south, you know, and then he's finally turned jail and he's like, okay, my liver's finally done because I think just the general consensus is back then if you're an alcoholic is you're beating the hell out of your liver, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. So he was like, I mean, I guess that was just like a, a funny note. It obviously wasn't funny, but they're like, yeah, you got this tumor on your pancreas and he's like, no way. So I, I don't know if for a minute he thought maybe it wasn't alcohol related, you know? Yeah. And maybe it wasn't. Like he was like a chemical salesman. Like he sold cleaning supplies. So he was around like harsh solvents and chemicals all day and like just breathing that shit in, you know? Yeah. So for sure, heavy contributing factor to the whole thing. But like the long and short of the story is like pretty much alcohol like ruined his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for you, like the, I remember meeting your dad and the level of alcoholism was like, like on a different level. I'd, I'd actually yeah. never seen it. I'd never seen um, like someone like I'd met, I think I met your dad three times and I, and he just came over and he was like, 
Like it was, it was, it was like, I was like, I don't know how that couldn't have affected your decision not to drink. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then also me and once we got closer to be friends too, and then you'd see what would happen when I'd get like shittered. Cause I'd be like totally on point filming movies with you. And then all of a sudden it's like, who's this dude who's like wrecking his life basically right now. Right. Right. Which is like, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's scary. You know, like it can, it can be traumatizing, but you don't really realize it till later, you know, that Mm -hmm. you like kind of got traumatized from that stuff so it like it didn't it didn't i didn't i wasn't the type of person that was like well fuck kearns because he's he's wants to push up beers on me or he wants to have some drinks himself because i'm like like some straight edge motherfucker you know what i mean yeah like we still were epic together you know what i mean like it wasn't like it was just something i personally chose not to get into and it worked for me so i stuck i just stuck that way if it wasn't working for me yeah I probably yeah. would have changed out to something yeah. to, to something that did work, you know. So. Yeah, I remember for me, like I think I've even told you this. Like you kind of, you kind of for a couple years saved my life, like because you were like, like you were just like, what the fuck does alcohol have to do with with what we're doing here? And mm-hmm. then it's like, and then it's like, oh yeah, like that resistance movie, like that was a that was a gnarly feat, and there was so much pressure and stuff, and it was like, yeah, I just like. And then, you know, who I surrounded myself, like after hanging out with you for a while, drinking became a non-issue for me. And right. I, I don't know if you remember it this way, but I think I got over trying to get you to drink and you're like, <laughs> no, we're on a mission now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is a mission to make this movie. And, and, uh, it's funny, like that's, that's kind of what I want to concentrate on because like this thing about this thing about like having a passion or having a focus can heal all addiction or, 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 um, side effects I think is like how important that was for me because when it was I just I, there would, it became no question for me either mm-hmm. but it would be funny because then there'd be time off away from making the movie and I'd just go get blitzkrieged for like a couple months in the fall and then start up and make a movie again and then go back to to whatever first of all I, I gotta say that's so crazy about your dad being a chemical salesman because that's funny my dad was like remember that like my mm-hmm. dad was like like how random is that like I know oh both of our dad's sell and, and my dad actually was an addict and he was in narcotics anonymous mm-hmm. for 23 years so yeah. it's like and i think mikey leblanc's dad was into chemical sales too and he had pancreatic cancer as well no way yeah. really yeah I'm, i i think i'm pretty sure yeah crazy but his, i think his dad beat it as as far as i know oh weird yeah. super weird oh yeah so so here we are like this is this is this is the thing like so how old are you right now you're 41 yeah you're 41 yeah. and um you know, there, there's just no doubt, and this isn't about good, bad, right, wrong, but like when I was snowboarding and, and then I started drinking and, and, and partying, like I can absolutely, this is really funny. It's like, because I had this work ethic that we're talking about, so even the whiskey videos, like we had to work. Like, so it's funny because I like drinking so much and because I was so passionate about snowboarding and drinking, I just kind of mixed the two. And then all of a sudden created this job for myself where <laughs> it was like, oh, wow, I'm getting paid to do what I love to do, which is drink and snowboard at the same mm-hmm. time. But I can tell you without, I don't have too many, well, that's not true. I do have a regret that I could never keep that straight. Cause there was like a short period of time where I was actually a good snowboarder and right. it was like pushing skateboard style in a, in a whack, um, tip grabbing J tear air thing. Sure. And it was like. And, and I just, um, it was different. I never put, I didn't put that together. Actually, it's kind of cool. I put that together when I started making the movies. 
with with you mm-hmm. and Mac Dog and stuff. And prior to that, like I kind of did learn my lessons somewhat in this. Like, yeah, if you want to make a good movie and 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 make this career last and actually be successful, you got to stop. You got you got to get off the sauce because it's really killing you. This whole thing about Alcoholics Anonymous and all this kind of stuff. Like, I have a very different opinion about that stuff. And it plain and simply, really, it really, really is simple to the to the core. It's like. If I drink alcohol, I will make competitively huge, bad decisions. Like I will make poor decisions for my life and I will make, so it's not about like being powerless over this demon and everything mm-hmm. for me. It's like, no, 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 it's plain and simple. That's, that's a bad drug and it doesn't right. work for me. So, um, am I going to say I'm never going to drink again? I'm not going to say that, but what I am going to say is do I drink? I'm like, no, it, it doesn't agree with me. It actually turns my life upside down within a day. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's just interesting that. I mean, I'm sure your dad, Guy, his name was Guy. Guy I'm yeah. sure Guy was waking up in the mornings feeling very, very shitty about himself mm-hmm. sometimes, like horrible. And then you start drinking because it just mm-hmm. makes that horrible, shitty feeling go away. For sure, yeah. And it's just a, it's a brutal, brutal loop that um, somehow I got out of. And, th- and that was it, like meeting up with you and then like Mitch and, and, and Jeremy and just being with other people. And then Mac dog, like no one was mixing like the level that we were operating on. No, you couldn't, unless you were Devin. Devin was, Devin was definitely uh, someone who was mind altering that way. For sure. Cause he would show up and film, I think even for that movie and I think decade as well. And he would show up and just, he could snowboard drunk. For sure. Like didn't, did that happen at Mount Hood? Was there a couple of times? There are, there are for whatever reason, a few people that can do that. Like you see it happen here and there in skateboarding. It's like, I don't know if he could really do it so much now in snowboarding, just maybe you could. I mean, he was a lot younger back then. So it's like that, that stuff does take a a toll when you get older for sure. You know, like I think I was saying to you, like I could, I could hit a session of rail for a few hours and not even slam, but I'm done that night. I'm totally sore and need like days off. Whereas like a younger kid that's 20 can like do the same session as me and take hard slams and he's totally ready to go the next day. So I think age does play into that thing, but Devin was definitely an anomaly as far as it goes (laughs) to that. And it was almost like his persona. Like it was like, kind of scary because in a way it kind of seemed like he had to almost live up to that. Like if he showed up not wasted and was going to do something, it wasn't as miraculous as if he was half cut, you know, or or hung over and and getting these shots, you know? So that's like a, that's a pretty dangerous place to live as far as image wise, you know? Dude, look look who you're saying (laughs) that too. (laughs) Totally. Like I've got this reputation as being this. And, and wasn't it like in technical difficulties where there was a shot of him and he had a beer in his hand while everybody else was digging the jump and for sure. And yeah, yeah, he did. Like, I remember he used to like, basically like there'd be like, he'd get a call and be like, yeah, Devin's up in Canada and be like, okay, we're going to hit this. They're building this jump and you need to be in Mount Hood tomorrow to hit it. And he'd like drive down the night before and get right shittered in in Govey camp or whatever, and then come up and then have a mellow beer and everybody'd be digging on the jump and everything be doing stuff. And then he'd hit it and he'd get clips. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) Which is just crazy alone to even be like, I'm in BC and I'm going to show up in government camp in less than 24 hours and be ready to hit this thing you know like that that alone is like (laughs) i don't know that seems like pretty hard for me but like to to do it on that level is nuts yeah 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 yeah. so that i mean that's that's the thing is like for some people and this is like it's not about uh making alcohol or drinking bad it's just about for some people it works exactly and like obviously it didn't work for Devin in the long run because he did like this is a thing that a lot of people don't know about you 
or Devin or the f- handful of people that have actually made a career last longer than five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when like you're, you're 20 years deep into, into a very successful career right. and something that a lot of people don't know about Devin as well as he did take care of himself very much. Like yeah. very a long time ago, he hired a personal trainer that has tracked yeah. him for probably, I think the last 15 years. For sure. Yeah. And a lot of time we would go riding at the, at the end of the day, like we'd come in after filming and Devin would sit on a stationary bike. Yeah. Hit the yeah. stationary bike for 20 minutes before yeah. going to bed. Yeah, like just and to it, loosen up yeah. and stuff for the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what about you? What's, what do you do about that? Like, how have you, like it does, does JP Walker just get up in the morning and be like, okay, I'm going to be a snowboarder today. And then you just go out or like, what, what's no, it been de- like for you? Definitely not. I mean, it's changed for sure over the years because it just was back in the beginning. It was just like s- snowboard strictly, maybe stretch a little bit and then eat whatever I could afford, which was like jelly donuts and a two liter Mountain Dew. But that for whatever reason <laughs> just worked back then, you know, yeah, and then yeah. after a while that just doesn't work anymore, you know, because it just can't, you know? And so I kind of, you know, just being on that focus that I was on of trying to do whatever it takes to like be a good snowboarder. I just kind of started doing other stuff. I, I think I started going to, to Bikram yoga on account of you went and told me how sick it was and how gnarly of a session it was. And we, cause I think we're always talking about hot yoga. So I started doing that about when I turned 30, I think I was I started going there and I don't know, it's, it's weird now because I don't know when it actually started, but it did, it just kind of did slowly become like, take longer to get warmed up. Once you're finally warmed up, kind of only have like a short period of like peak performance and then you start going down. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, it's not to say that I can't get to those peak points anymore. Like back in like 2001, say when I'm filming True Life, like you're just, your peak point is all day, every day, kind of, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It doesn't take much to get warmed up and at the end of the day, you don't have to do much to like re-up for the next day, you know? Yeah. And now that just, instead of being like a plateau where it just spikes up and sits flat and then goes down, it's like slow, it's like a slow arc that kind of takes a while to get there, but I can get there, you know? And then maybe I don't have as many goes on the feature, partly because the feature is probably triple the size it was back then and higher impact. And then it kind of starts to plane off, you know, but I still... I still can do these things because it really is like a, it really is a mental thing, you know, like Mm -hmm. if you can kind of fight the inner demons of getting like being scared or the craziest things can come up when you're strapped into the top of a big rail, you know, Mm -hmm. like mentally, you mean mentally, just like the dumbest things, like suddenly like, oh my God, like, how am I going to like, I got to cash that check. I got to like, uh, send that email, like (laughs) Just the most random shit, you know, that had nothing to do with like this big double kink sitting in front of you can like totally appear. And I remember the first time that that happened to me was filming for Chulk Smack. So I just finished filming Shakedown the year before, which was obviously like a insane movie that's we probably need to talk about. But, <laughs> but it, but I had like the double cork was in there. I did all these other like NBDs, like Hardaway 270 and all this stuff. So there's like this crazy part I just came off of. And now here I am like again in Utah. I remember I was like, I'd already done a trip to Minnesota and I didn't really get anything, kind of got skunked on the trip and it was already like February. I didn't really have any shots at all. And then I was, it had snowed. So I came back to Utah and I remember standing at the top of this rail. It was at these rails in Centerville, like 
just these straight rails in the center, but like a 27 stair rail had like a little donkey on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I remember standing on top of that drop-in ramp going, I won't be in this position a year from now because I don't like how this feels right now. Mm-hmm. To go from like such a high place of like these double corks and these crazy video parts and openers and enders to like, this is not what I'm into. All, all of a sudden it just, it just manifested out of nowhere. I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. But that was like one of the first times that I just felt like I didn't like what I was doing, you know, and I, but somehow got lucky and did a 270 on that rail and also like another like kind of like 180 shuffle trick. Yeah. And then the next day I went back to that spot and that's when I did that 50 50 and through the opening in the fence. Oh, like yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. That was at yeah. the same spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was weird. It was coming from such a place of like, if I get hurt on this, like, thank God, because I won't have to keep doing it. Yeah, you know? yeah. It was just, it was such a weird mind frame to go there where I never had that before. And I saw other people before me, like maybe older guys that were kind of starting to struggle with like the mental game of it, you know, or like, and it never made sense when I was younger. Like, oh, why is that guy tripping on trying that trick? Or why is he scared? Like he, all he's got to do is do this or that. It's like easy, you know, it's like you just think about it and then you do it, you know? Yeah. And it was that simple for me back then. But then suddenly it became like, there's suddenly all these other things factored into it, like big money and contracts and all this other bullshit that like you shouldn't be thinking about when you're trying to like perform a stunt, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember, I remember that happening that day. Like I can remember being like, if I think about it, like I almost get chills because I remember being on that ramp being like, dude, I don't like this feeling and I don't want to be doing this because this doesn't feel good. And it was like, I guess it was probably like anxiety in a way, you know, or I don't really know what it was, but it was fucking lame. And somehow I got through that and then was able to, cause that was 2004. So that was quite a long time ago. I've able, was able to like continue progressing and film a lot of parts since then. But so much of that was mental, not really physical. You yeah. know what I mean? To yeah. like be able to stay in the game that way and, and see it through. So. First of all, it's so funny. You remember that moment so clearly, like, yeah. like I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Like whatever. And then, and then, it's funny, like, there's a part of me that's, like, super stoked because here you are however many years after that and you're still in the game and everything. There's a part of me that's kind of bummed that you got that 270 and whatever that day because <laughs> what would have happened if you didn't? You got something that day and you kept going. And then there's, like, you and I were sitting there talking uh, the last time you were over here last year, you came for a visit and we were talking about, like, that you would you basically stand at the top of a feature or a handrail or a jump and it's like, okay, it's go time, it's film time. And then basically the mental process she told me that you go through is like, I'm getting this trick here and I'm either getting it and riding it away or I'm getting stretchered out of here. Mm-hmm. Like that's the mentality. It's yeah. like, it's like, um, whatever it takes. Like when you were telling me that, um, you know, my younger me is like, yeah, well, yeah, dude, that's what you're doing. And mm-hmm. then my, my older smarter me is like, that's kind of sad actually, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, cause I care about you and it's like, you're my friend and that's a shitty. And actually I've had this weird thing going on where how I contributed to that by being a filmer. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, I know it was my job and I know that's something we all agreed to do. And there's a part of me that's like, I've been kind of rough on myself about that one lately because it's like you were just like fucking a glutton, like you're helping helping this whole process of your friends fucking themselves up, and right. and I was I was coming from the safety of a camera, dude. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I was so glad 
when I went to, when I became a filmer and there was no expectation of me to do anything and as a snowboarder anymore, I can't tell you. It was like- Comfortable feeling. Dude, it was a super, it was like, oh my God, I can handle this all day. I can, I can be a filmer all day and, and I will. And you know, I was, I was, I think I was better than anybody at trying to keep everybody safe. Sure, like yeah. I would always like protect the riders first and For sure. avalanche and yeah. all this kind of shit. But still I was also contributing to basically my friends potentially fucking themselves up. Yeah, you know? but it wasn't from a place of like malice. You know what I mean? It was just for some people. It was. Just, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, guess Did you say it wasn't from a place of Malmi? Yeah. yeah maybe Malmi. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Malmi. I love you. If you're yeah. hearing this, I love you to death. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Pretty. Pretty funny. I mean, yeah. It's it's true. It's just like I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to pinpoint when and how that it switches from that place of like, this is fun and we're getting shots and it's all cool to like, I'm going to get this or go home in a bag. You know what I mean? And I yeah. don't know if that just be at, is a side effect of the features and the spots getting so gnarly or a combination of that mixed with like big expectations or like the pressure you put on yourself. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's, I think it's normal to put pressure on yourself if you've had like a lot of, good video parts and and things that people praise to like want to keep giving them that you know you want to give the streets what they want you know yeah yeah but that that gets hard and that gets scary and then it if you're not doing that then you kind of feel like a pile you know what i mean so then what's easier to like die on a on a feature or get ko'd and just be dragged off the scene or like fail you know what yeah. i mean like kind of easier to like get paid out get dragged <laughs> off the scene yeah 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 because i remember that was the whole thing with like um with shakedown and like when i that whole like opening thing we did like wake up in the hospital like first thing is i thought i don't want to do this anymore you know mm -hmm. there was comfort in that when i woke up and like kind of realized okay i don't know what happened but i know that i'm like obviously in a hospital and my face isn't in the same place it was because i can just feel it with my tongue and everything you know mm -hmm. and knowing that like Oh, I don't. I have no more obligations right now because I physically can't. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. The, that's comfortable. You know what I yeah, mean. Yeah. 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 Especially trying to film Shakedown, which is like the whole thing. How that thing even came together is obviously mind altering. But the, so so a lot of pressure with that video right there to suddenly like oh pressure's off like I'm in a bag in a hospital. You know what I mean? And then kind of like I should probably like reel that back in and get focused because that's like an easy slope to go down you know yeah it's like i got hurt i'm not feeling it anymore snowboarding's gnarly yeah had, yeah. A, good, had a good run yeah you know what i mean yeah well here's what i think happens that no one talks about is a kid comes along like you you know there you are and you're stoked on snowboarding skating and all that kind of stuff and you're just doing your thing and you're you guys are super focused i remember like a lot of things people don't know about you and jeremy stuff is you guys actually used to practice in the early season and practice all your tricks so when you're showing up to do a 900 you've already done that on a smaller jump in utah that you guys built so you and you guys had tried all the different ways and you guys were like prepared to so when it mm -hmm. came to bringing it to the bigger stuff you had already done it whereas a lot of other guys were just chucking themselves cold turkey first yeah. thing off huge jumps so you guys were totally on point compared to everybody else um as far as i was concerned and then oh the where's i going with this oh yeah and then i'm thinking about so then you know, you jump in and then you, whatever, you get a sick part and all this kind of stuff. And then you basically jump to this level of like, oh, you're getting paid a lot of money. And then at some point, I don't think it's possible for someone to not 
start feeling this pressure? When does it switch from like being like, I'm stoked, I'm killing it, da 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 da, to like all this pressure that you put on yourself? Like, is that yeah. around the time that that happened? Yeah, I would say around that time is where it became more of like, not not to use the word job, but it became more of like, um, I guess it just started that the I'm doing this for fun versus like I'm doing this to get paid started, the balance started to shift. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like, I'm not doing this so much for fun anymore because, wow, suddenly this isn't fun. Yeah, yeah, being, yeah. Being scared like this, you yeah. know? Yeah that's when you start asking all these like crazy questions of like, do I want to keep doing this? Like, this is scary or whatever. Like do like, you know, and it's, it sucks too. Cause it's like a kind of a mind fuck. Cause it's like, you're doing this thing, especially like I was so heavy on handrails back then. And I had that epiphany or whatever while I'm standing at the top of a handrail. So it's like, this is like a whole genre that I've built and like kind of created, you know, with the help of some other guys. So to, to have it almost like, feel like it turns on me that like kind of fucks with your head you know so it's like yeah from there yeah it's like i mean i'd signed a big deal with forum at the time and then that was right before shakedown started so if i guess if you can imagine i came off filming true life like we did that movie and that was like i think like one of the greatest movies ever and like uh-huh. everyone killed it it was just like a perfect storm of everyone's like creative talents and timing in the industry and everything you know so we just came came off that and i was like snowboarding was at a high i guess my value was at a high and i was had a contract coming up so i got to negotiate like a pretty pretty serious contract and it was for a long time it was like a five-year deal and then i got that and then so if you can imagine, like, Forum just had to... Can I... Should I say these numbers or is that a bad look? I think you should just say it. I think <laughs> okay. so. Well, here's... So here's what happened. So I went into Forum to negotiate my contract and I met with this guy, Marcus Bohe, who was like the CFO or CEO of the company at the, of Four Star Distribution at the time. And for whatever reason, I had these different numbers in my head, whether it was from someone actually approaching me or from someone saying you should be getting this or you should be getting that for bindings for boots like all these different things i think that might have been me (laughs) for sure (laughs) so i went in and i didn't even i didn't even really know what that number was but he's they they asked me what i wanted and if you can imagine like a guy in his early 20s going like flying down to have a meeting like a one-on-one meeting with a swiss german businessman in a office building is like Uh uh-huh doesn't even make sense, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then, well, just on the, and, and a quick side note, like what you were wearing when you went in yeah. there too, which was like yeah, every like, other brand. I think I like purposely went in there wearing <laughs> you did, like dude. RDS. a New York shirt or, or RDS. I, pro- I think like I was getting flow from all these other things that weren't really conflicting sponsors, but I like, they had started Circa, but I wasn't really on Circa. It was just kind of an expectation that you wear Circa. But I think I came in wearing like Clark Wallabies, obviously. <laughs> and then I came in, I think, with Zoo York jeans because they were giving me and Jeremy skateboards and then throwing some apparel here and there. So I'm like, I wore that. I think I did come in an RDS uh, T-shirt because they were flowing me stuff because I was spending a lot of time in Vancouver and I met all those guys through you. And so it was like... I, I came in wearing all this shit, you know, and it, so that probably subconsciously made it look like, hey, I got other shit going on, you know. Uh-huh. So like, I don't think I had one four star thing on me, maybe a wristband or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I hit 
Marcus with all these numbers and he goes to a whiteboard and he starts like writing down the numbers of like of what I'm saying I I can get this for this and this for like these this guys. for a goggle sponsor this, this for goggles for, this these for guys, outerwear yeah, yeah. and I remember there was a big there was a big one around um like a lot of outerwear companies wanted to just sponsor and have the complete deal whereas some other guys were like no, no, you wear this outerwear, but then you wear Volcom streetwear. Yeah, Volcom sure. was just great at doing that, sliding sure, in, sliding, into sliding that, in yeah. on the, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just, and the industry was hot. So it was like, it wasn't out of the question that these numbers could possibly go down, you know? Yeah. Like it would be like, it would be like, for example, like it would be like, yeah. So I think I, I remember something like, I think Bjorn was getting a hundred grand a year for wearing just Volcom streetwear. For sure. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Or whatever. I, I think I hit him with something like, Drake bindings will give me 200 grand. Cause I think someone just mentioned that I should be getting 200 grand from Drake bindings because <laughs> Daniel Frank gets this much from Drake. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. Daniel's levels or something supposedly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I hit him with these big ass numbers, you know, and he adds it up and it comes to something like 700,005 or 56 a year, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, oops. <laughs> cause I didn't even do the math you know yeah. I just like kind of and so he's sitting there looking at that and he's like that he's like I don't know if that's just something we can afford and I was like okay like I would like, like I didn't no know agent yeah no, I didn't no. know really where to go from there and I was just kind of like alright well you know like I might have said something about you know it doesn't have to be that much on a salary but like if royalties and travel and all these things kind of add up to that then or close then that's like something I can work with and that's how I got out of that because I was like I just kind of went in deep on these guys you know yeah so then it just so happened that like I ended up in Burlington shortly after that with Jeremy and Downing because we were doing some stuff with the Nixon Jib Fest out there. And that was no accident, was it? <laughs> like, didn't we do something? I remember, I remember uh, being in on this, like, we're, like what's, what's JP doing in Burlington? Yeah, I.e. Burl Burlington meaning Burton. Burton, yeah. yeah. So me and Jeremy were out at Burton because they wanted to have a meeting with us about getting us on. You they know? did? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think Downing, because we were tight with Downing through Nixon and stuff, and I think he orchestrated that meeting, and I was, I was like, sure, I'll go out there and see what they got to say, you know? But I didn't really ever have any intentions of writing for Burton because I just it just wasn't my thing but I was like it was the summer I was like sure whatever you know yeah. I'll look for some handrails while I'm out there to like scope for next year because that was like how big of a keener I was that I'd actually go in the summertime to round of cities and look for handrails <laughs> so that was my excuse so I went there with with Jeremy and they and they actually did try to like uh proposition us to get on you know and they actually had contracts that they wanted us to sign right there. And I'm like, I was just like, no, like whatever, you know. Oh, really? They had stuff they ready had to stuff go? They had stuff in front of us ready to sign, yeah. And Do you so, remember what those numbers were? Or you yeah, know? it was it was something like around 300 a year for like, I don't know, three years or five years or something like that. So it was like serious money, you know. Uh -huh. But I was just, I, I re really had no intent of ever doing that. But someone, while we were there, because it was only like a few hours we were there, we just like kind of day tripped it out there. Someone told the guys at four star forms and special blend that we were there yeah. so while i'm there at yeah. burton i'm getting calls from like my team manager and the owner like, going, like <laughs> dude it was so sick in those days because it was like that yeah like, so, like someone re like someone relayed it like why is jp and jeremy here like they this must have been someone they known or i don't know like who at at, at burton it would have been that like passed that information to the west coast you know yeah, what i mean yeah so I'm like deflecting it like, oh, no, I'm just like being here with Downing doing like a Nixon jib fest, like 
some, I don't even know what I said, but I was basically like, no, I'm not like here, like doing, I'm not looking at that, you know? Yeah. But the fact that they heard that we were out there and I just hit him with those numbers obviously scared him because that made my pro like the the proposal for numbers more that much more real you yeah, know yeah even though like i said i had no intention of ever signing up with them because i loved forum and i loved everything we had going with like the relationship with mac dog and you filming the movies and everything and the team and i loved the team and everything there was it was just a it was just a sure i'll check it out you know well just and just i want to i want to i want to just um interrupt you a little bit just a little context of what's going on it's like so in those days, um, like Burton was, Burton was the big thing. And then all of a sudden Rawl and, and Special Blend and everything came along and was just like taking over. Like basically yeah. people stopped caring about Burton and stopped caring about anything else for, sure. for him. So, and then. Well, like, not, not to mention we did that true life trip and we went to Burlington and fucking pillaged. hit all these spots and pillaged like basically in their backyard, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's absolutely right in Burlington. Pretty funny, and then, but but what people what people don't know, and I think is is like if Burton had landed you and Jeremy at that point, that would have put a serious sting into forms into forms in because you guys were especially after True Life and Resistance in a row, you were the shit. Like your name was selling everything. It's like, right, whatever, and. And it was, it, it, it could have been a company turner. Like it wasn't, and this yeah. is like, the reason I'm saying this now is because I don't think people understand, like now it's so scattered and all over the place and this and that and money and who's getting what. And in those days, it was really like, that was the big one was Forum and Burton right. and Forum was taking over. Like For absolutely sure. at For that sure, point. Yeah. So no doubt Rawl and, and, and Marcus and those guys were like, and Steve Ruff. It's like, cause it really did turn, it actually turned like that with Sean White, remember? Like mm -hmm. Sean White's mom basically came and like got the biggest offer they could from, from form. form. Then yeah. she like, I think yeah. doubled it without really, and yeah. then told Burton, this is what I'm getting, which was a really smart move. And then mm -hmm. Burton was just like about to watch that happen again. So you actually, in a kind of a way, set Sean White up in the future too, by like, yeah. it went the opposite way, but same thing. It was like the big companies were fighting. For sure. For so sure. anyway, you're back, you're in Burlington yeah. and, and, and those guys start hitting you up. <laughs> yeah. And I just somehow deflected it and just went home and then. Um, I think I was probably only home a few days and I remember like, I, I think I just pulled up to Mitch's house to like pick him up to like go skate or something like that. And I got a call from Rawl and he was like, Hey, uh, so we're thinking about like those, those numbers and stuff and like your need, your new deal. And then this is kind of a, this is important to say too. So like at the kind of, even before I negotiated those numbers, I think they somehow already knew the terms like they wanted to do like a long-term thing, like a five-year thing with me. I'd spoke with Rawl because he was like heavily into the marketing at the time. And he knew that it would be hard for me to come off True Life and film another True Life because it was like that video was so nuts, you know, and the, yeah. and the part and everything, you know. So he was in agreement that like, yeah, that would be sick if you actually like took some time, learned some new tricks, film here and there and stack footage and essentially put out like a year a, a two years worth of footage the next time around. And they didn't even know what that video was going to be. That was just assumed that it was a Mac dog video. Cause they were partners with Mac dog. And then it would be like another two year part after that. And then a one year part. So a five year deal that had three parts that was required to film for it, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was already on deck when I hit him with those numbers, you know? So then that whole thing with Bert and I go out there and then have those meetings and I'm back, in Utah and I get that call from Rawl and he's like, so we've been thinking about these numbers and we want to just go five for five. 
<laughs> what's five for and I'm five? Like, what's, I'm like, what's five for five? And he's like, 500 grand for five a year for five years. So 2.5 and you're done. And I was like, right. $2.5 million. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the driveway in, in my buddy's house, just, you know, like I haven't even gone in. I'm just sitting there like in my car, like, okay, this is off the meat rack. You yeah. Know what I like mean? I'm like, this, I'm this kid yeah. from Salt Lake city who yeah. snowboarded and, and, and I'm sitting in my Mercedes, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that Rawl sold me for a good deal. So it's just like, Cause that was all part of it too. Like he had his, he had his bends and, and you know, they wanted to hook you up. Yeah. Like, like I yeah, bought, yeah. I remember I got that off him and then I like drove it out to the true life premiere in Utah. You know what I mean? Like he like sold it, he sold it to me, but he hooked me up on a good deal on it. You know what I mean? So it's like, and then a few, you know, a few months later, I'm getting this phone call about like $500,000 a year for five years. And I only got to film three video parts, not, <laughs> not only, but it's like, he just, I kind of got everything. I never went in like when I went that deal, like I need to get 500 grand. It was, mm -hmm. I didn't even really know what I wanted. I just know that like people were telling me I deserved a certain amount of money. And so I just went in and told them that I think that's what I deserve based on what the streets are saying to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then that's what they came back with me. And so obviously I said, yeah. And then it was like that there were a few stipulations like, I had all these other like other sponsors, like I had like a wax sponsor, a tool sponsor, those premier snow skates. Like I had a bunch of just kind of accessory shit, and I had to like get rid of all that. And it was just forum sticker, special blend sticker, circus sticker. Yeah, you know what I mean. Which yeah. was fine, and Oakley because they weren't obviously they weren't making goggles for them or special blend, but they were gonna maybe start doing snow skates. They were starting to make tools and accessories, so they didn't want my names on any like competing brands. And I was like, yeah, fine, like I'll quit all those brands. Yeah and do that and there was who knows there probably was even some travel budget in there <laughs> <laughs> there but, was there was wasn't yeah, there yeah sure there I th was i think there was it was there's no way that you would yeah. would have done that yeah. it was like yeah 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 so so you can imagine that like so that that deal gets signed and then the next year i kind of just stack some shots around salt lake and in the backcountry here and there and i i've got like you know i did like that big backside lip in utah and that fifth south rail that's knobbed now and had had some other like pretty hammer shots you know mm -hmm. and um i did that front board pretzel actually so like that was like new no one had done that so i had that on deck like had, i was still doing shit you know it's just like kind of like at a different pace it wasn't like i need to get this part to come out now it's just like i'm gonna go and like spend more time on these tricks i don't know how to do and try to get new shit you know uh -huh. and they were stoked on that so that would have been 2002 and then but now it's 2003 and so I've got this stack of footage already with MDP. And then now Forum decides they don't want to be with MDP anymore. They want to take the video in-house and do it themselves and make video games. Uh huh. So long story short, I say I'm siding with MacDog and Kearns because I never got into this game to film. Like I, my, one of my dreams was to be in a MacDog production. And so it wasn't to be in a forum video because forum didn't even exist. It was just, I want to be in these MacDog videos. So, and you guys were my friends and uh -huh. I knew what it took to make these videos. And I knew you couldn't just pull any hack off the street to make them, you know what which I mean? Which apparently people think you can. <laughs> yeah. Which people think you can, you know? Yeah. And so like, and they were they were floundering trying to put this video games movie together, but it was just crazy because they were already promoting it. Like we were on tour for whatever MacDog video came out that year. Like we kind of toured it because Eddie Wall and 
Andreas and Kevin Jones and Peter were, I think, had shots in it, but they were already advertising video games. You know what I mean? So it's like, wow, they're already advertising this, but they don't even have anyone to film it. Yeah. And I don't know what their assumption was between you and MacDog, whether you were going to come film it or they were, or what was going to happen, but they were moving forward a hundred percent on this thing. Like t-shirts were already made, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just like, this is nuts because these guys actually have no idea what they're doing because yeah, they're good at marketing and promotion and stuff, but they've never been in the back country or at a spot or any of this shit that we do. Like it just uh -huh. isn't, it isn't the same thing, you know? So that scared me because I was, you know, I wanted to put a good part out, you know, I just signed this big deal and I was still super motivated to like get it the hammer, most hammer footage I could get. So that whole thing happened where they, they, it was the fall and they still didn't have anything put together to film. And we ended up going on a Calgary trip early, like November uh -huh. 1st or something like that. Yeah. And maybe normally we wouldn't have done something that early. Yeah. But, it was kind of like, we do this trip now. It's like, I'm already filming with, for Shakedown and MDP and with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that, and they were like, I, I think I remember because Mathis was on the side of me filming with video gangs and he was saying like, don't go on that trip. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because like, he was, because he, he was, he was a staff photographer for Forum. He was going to be Forum. Yeah. And, and my homie, you know, but he was like, definitely like, he was more on the side of like, let's do the video gangs Forum thing. And I was like, no, because I just don't, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel good to me, you know? Yeah. I don't want to turn my back on MacDog and Kearns and what I've built there to like go all in with you. But I should, I mean, I should have because yeah. they just signed me up for $2.5 million. <laughs> Dude, so <laughs> So the fact that I said, no, I'm not going to film for your thing, even though you're paying me $2.5 million. Yeah. And I'm going to go film for this other thing, even though the rest of your team is, was, was, you can't get any more pressure than that. No, you can't. You know what I mean? No, dude. I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it was the worst because it's like, like I remember when we went on that Calgary trip, it was like, you know, you said you were going to come. And I think for sure I was, I was testing the waters too. Like, is he really going to make it too? Mm -hmm. Even though we were super tight and everything, yeah. I was also super tight with these other guys who were going to, who were jumping ship. Right. And so when you made it on that trip, it was like, okay, there's some faith in humanity left here because like, it was like, it just, I couldn't believe that we were losing all those other guys. Like, right. And, right. And, you know, now I, I, I understand it completely a lot more than I did then, but then it was just lame. And and then I can't even imagine, like, I actually get uncomfortable right now thinking about how much pressure you already put on yourself to get tricks, to get stuff, to get shots. And then also for that year, when you filmed a super sick part, you had basically the people that were paying you $2.5 million mm -hmm. constantly trying to get you to do something you didn't want to do. Like that didn't end through the whole no. year. They, yeah, they, they were, were pushing you the constantly and then yeah. the team was pissed at you. Yeah, they hated me. And I'm everybody sure. was pissed and it yeah. was like lame, dude. Yeah. Like it was like, so what was that like? Like, uh, I mean, I, I blocked out a lot of it and it was, I don't know. Like I, I did hear things that the team was pissed and that didn't, obviously they should have been pissed at me because we just filmed those other two team videos and doing this thing. And then I, I'm on this high horse of like, I don't have to do that. I'm doing this other thing, but they could have made that decision too. You know, it's just that they didn't and I did. And it's, and, and it's, it's not to say that mine was the right decision or theirs was the wrong decision or vice versa. It's just, that's 
what felt good for me to do. So if I had done it the other way, maybe, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had like as much pressure, but I don't know. It just didn't feel like the right thing to do. And so I was somehow able to block that out, but I did get fucked up that year. That's when I broke my face off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hitting perfect jump. So that was like even crazier. So like we were going ham because we went ham early that year. Went out of the East Coast a bunch early. Went back to Burlington. We were on a mission. Had shots before Thanksgiving. Like, yeah. And people knew it. And then there was no social media, but there was word of mouth that we were getting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then we like fucked with everybody by putting out that teaser at the trade show where everyone kind of goes to see what everyone's holding. Yeah. And we put out that joke teaser with Fall Line Films with like Damien Sanders footage and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Which is a complete other story, but it was like... Well, let's let's I'll, let me just elaborate <laughs> on that story right now. So, so basically, the, for for people who don't know the way it works, it's like yeah, the trade show I think is February, early February or something like that, or is it even? It might early? it might have been earlier. I think it was earlier than yeah, it was like January like, or something. It's like a, the trade show, and and basically, yeah, that's when you drop your teaser. And basically, at this point, they had hired Johnson, and they were working on video gangs. And I think I was even part of this, like putting the word out that we were just killing it, even yeah. though we were like working our faces off to try and get anything because it was okay for rails and stuff, but the backcountry was no good. And, you know, we're thinking we need all this powder footage and all that stuff. And so we were actually stressing to put a teaser out and we really didn't have the footage. Yeah. To put but anything we wanted to put somehow out. you put out the vibe that our teaser stacked with powder footage. Oh, big time. Like it was, <laughs> oh no, no, that was, oh dude, even, even that stuff that you're talking about, like Burlington and, and, and form, dude, I know that I had some stuff to do with some of the stuff in there. Like, cause I was watching that all go down. I remember being like, you know, create this perception of what's going on and it's going to make it look like, you know, you're, they need to sweat and start getting you money. Like mm-hmm. all that, like that's, that's kind of how I operate, right. operated in those days, especially was like oh, really, you're going to come up against me? Well, fuck you. And I'm going to make everybody think that I got JP doing 1080s off 100-foot clips. Yeah, and you're yeah. sweating it, you know? <laughs> and then uh, and then we came up with that idea. And this was the cool... So Jerry from Fall Line Films, like, Fall Line used to make these super, like, uh, dramatic, like, hero films. Like, that sick films. But there would be all these, these, these like... All narrated. Narrated. And, and, and then we went to Chile and we did this backflip off this thing and Damien went Richter and all this stuff. And... And so then basically what we did is we went to Fall Line because he was friends with Mac Dog and Mac Dog's like, hey, Jerry, can you help us out? And we went to the studio and we took all the footage from Damien, of, of Damien Steve Graham and all Everyone these Everyone that was in Riders on the Storm. Well, all the Fall Line films, yeah, I guess. All the, all, the, all the Fall Line. And basically we took all their stuff. So like basically there was a, a face shot of Damien and then the, then it was like him doing a backflip. But we were like, and we actually got Jerry from Fall Line Films to like narrate it yeah. and be like, and then we went around and then it was a shakedown. Yeah. And then it was like JP, and it, but it was actually Damien, Damien, Damien yeah. doing a backflip. So it was, and it was a parody of the... Um, the Riders on the Storm video, like it was the same song, same kind of intro with even some of the same shots. It was shots zombie, right, Rob Zombie or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 it had that same song and then it like, and then it, yeah, then it cuts in and it's like, it says J.P. Walker, but it's Damien's face on the screen. He's doing a triple backflip indie poke like yeah. with, with hard boots and then it goes through the whole team list of everyone that was in Shakedown and none of, and it's just all like the old guys ripping you know yeah, yeah. and that was our teaser at the trade show <laughs> <laughs> not not our sick Burlington footage and not all, all this other shit that we had like logged. nothing, nothing. we didn't put like, anything out so they didn't actually know what we had which made it way worse <laughs> dude and, then, and there was there was actually like I mean I'm not too proud of this but maybe a little bit proud but like dude at that point we were in a war as far as I was concerned and I remember I showed up in Whistler 
And because those guys had heard that we had like basically those, see, this is so weird and so confusing. Those guys was us a year before. So yeah. it was so lame to be against like yeah. Devin and, and then like Johnson's like filming the movie. And I remember showing up in Whistler and uh, Jared Eberhard at that point was running the forum thing and he was working with Sean. I think by that time, Jared started to hate Sean. Like, mm-hmm. I think those guys don't like each other. Right. And they were, they didn't like working together. So uh, the way I heard it was Jared called Sean and Devin and those guys and said, dude, I just saw those guys' teaser. Yeah. And, and Johnson was like, is there powder in yeah. it? And Jared, Jared's like, oh yeah, <laughs> there's sick powder. <laughs> and then, and it's like, does he have like tons of, dude, it's, it's, it's basically Jared was like the best teaser I've ever seen. Cause he was cool enough to be like, yeah. those guys fucking got, got me. Us, they yeah. got me. And, but he didn't pass that information on to no, Johnson because he wanted Johnson to sweat. So I walked into the funny part is I owned a house with Devin and Whistler and it was so lame because there was this elephant in the room always. Like, we're not really telling each other what's going on. I remember walking up the stairs and Johnson was staying at our house with Duffacy and Devin and I think Bjorn. And they just gotten back from like Alaska or something. A- yeah, Atlanta. Atlan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they were all sitting there. And then I'm like, do you guys want to see the teaser? And they're like, yeah. And dude, I remember putting that thing on my computer and showing those dudes. And they, you know, just imagine they're waiting to see the sickest snowboarding teaser they've ever seen. And they're yeah. seeing this total parody hoax of yeah. everything. And then like their mind fucked that they'd spent a week probably in like heavy avalanche conditions in Alaska, yeah. desperately trying to get some footage. Yeah. And then Jared, their 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 art director basically is like working them, being yeah. like, dude, you got to get some get- footy. Yeah. And then they watch this thing and you should have seen their faces. Dude, their faces just dropped. Like, <laughs> like it was like, I've been stressing about nothing. Like yeah. this is, these guys don't have footage or we don't even, now we don't even know, know what, what they, they have. Yeah. Now I was just sitting there with the, like, I was like, I was a vindictive fuck in those days. I was just like, fuck you guys. You didn't get my back. Fuck you here. Enjoy this teaser motherfuckers and have fun filming the rest of the year. And I'm going to, we're going to own you. Like, and it was gnarly. Like it was so lame. Cause those guys like to this day are my fucking friends. And it was a shitty situation, but it's just crazy that it could have got to that situation when, if you look at it, you take a step back from it and it's like, okay, you just did resistance and true life. And there's this forum Mac dog, partnership it's like what else you can't really beat that yeah so why so it's like it like it's like the classic like divide and conquer except for they like induced it on themselves like they divided it you they, know they I mean? totally did and and we were we were like uh i mean i'm sure you know there's the three sides to every story there's their side my side and the truth or whatever but the reality was i remember having many meetings with them trying to make it work like i was like let's do something like let's collaborate let's right. move the prices around and there was no budging it was like they wanted Rawl wanted complete control and he wanted all of the money that was going to be yeah. making and he didn't like the idea that he's paying all that money to ship everybody around and then Mac yeah. Dog or me or whatever were making a living off it. Yeah. And he also approached me to leave Mac Dog. Like that was his first move. Mm-hmm. It was like to step out on Mac Dog. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I don't think Mike even knows that, but it was like, you know, Raw was like, like, you know, quarter million a year, mm-hmm. get in house, mm-hmm. make the movie for us in house, like blah, 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 blah. He was mm-hmm. looking at it like looking that. At it, yeah. And I was like, fuck, no, I'm not doing that, dude. I got, I got Mike's back. Like no right. way. So I kind of did the same thing you did on a, on a little bit of a lesser yeah, level, but yeah. I did the same thing. It's like, I got Mac Dog's back. Like he's my boy and there's no way. And that was the worst because I was running MDP. There was so many different things and like so many different like tentacles of friendships and all this shit. It was just super stressful. And it really came down to like someone just wanting to control everybody. And, mm-hmm. and also I think I talked about this, they, 
they they were they were kind of screwing up their own scene. It sucked because we had the we had the world we had it going. Yeah. We had it. Yeah, know? we had the formula for it all, and it was working. And it just kind of, I guess, just self destructed in a way. But not to bag on drinking, but that's kind of what happened. Is those guys started partying. It's yeah. not kind of. It is what it happened. Is what like, happened. And the shift the shift that happened when when those guys started partying and not focusing on what we were doing, mm-hmm. it changed everything. And they, they call it the trickle down effect. Like the guy, if the guy at the top, whatever he's doing, which mm-hmm. was raw, the, whatever he's doing trickles down through the rest of the company. Right. And all of a sudden it's okay to drink and it's okay to be partying. It's okay yeah. to da, da, da. Whereas the forum team, I remember you guys back in the day, if someone was fucking up, you guys would be all over that person. And totally. De- Devin was, Devin was, Devin was, what do you call it? Nil void of that rule. Cause yeah. it was like, yeah, I don't know. He can drink a case and somehow He's point fine. off this thing. Yeah. That's fine. But yeah. everybody else, you guys would be like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, why Well, I heard like- so many horror stories from Mac dog about like the old ride team or Joyride team and how like, you know, those guys were crushing it so hard. And then they like kind of started partying and like all moved down to Pacific beach and basically stopped snowboarding, you know? And, yeah. and those were all my favorite snowboarders, you know, like Nate and Roan and Dale and all these guys. So it was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, f- and, and you know, Mac dog was filming those guys. So he was in that suddenly in that same position with all the forum guys, you know? And I was like, well, I don't want that to happen because those guys were my favorite motherfuckers out there ever. And, and they just yeah. suddenly disappeared, you know? And, whether that was the truth or not, that's kind of how it got presented to me that those guys just kind of like started hitting it too hard and then they fell off. You it know? was true. Yeah. <laughs> like they started, they started just raging, you know, like, yeah. So I'm like, well, I don't want this to happen, you know? So I was upset when I started to see that come down. I think that that had a lot to do with why Jeremy did take that Burton deal because he saw that coming down too. And he just wasn't into it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I think that that definitely had a lot to do with his decision in that. So I don't know, like, it just, it, yeah, it did. It was a trickle-down effect, and it just kind of divided it on itself. And then, fuck, here we are filming Shakedown. Yeah. And then I smash my face, and then, like, I got even more pressure, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the pressure, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like, and then that just brings back to that whole thing of, like, waking up and, like, oh, well, easy way to escape the pressure. Like, that was all the pressure that I'm talking about. Like, that... It's hard, it's hard from an outsider's perspective, I guess, to see, like, well, what pressure? Like, go snowboard and have fun, you know? It's like, no, like, live up to all these crazy expectations. Like, justify getting paid millions of dollars and, uh-huh. and turning your back on, like, the rest of the team and going and doing this other thing. Like, that's a lot of pressure, you know? And then throw in, like, this shit is actually, like, you can get really hurt or scared and obviously you can because I did, you know? Yeah, so, like, yeah. the fear of getting hurt is, like, fully legitimate, you know? Yeah. So, lots of pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, with all that pressure, like, we, I do end up uh, finished filming for Shakedown. Like, I had to take only, like, a month off because it was the jaw thing, so it wasn't like I had to do, like, any major rehab, but I still did miss, like, a big chunk of, like, powder season. Yeah. And then that's when that whole, like, double cork thing went down. Like, I was, like, basically panicked, like, this could be the last day of powder in the backcountry, so I got to, like, uncork something marvelous, you know? <laughs> and I'd mentally been, like, working on that trick for a few years because I, like, practiced it, like, on this, or I accidentally actually did it on this other jump a long time ago, and I just, like I didn't have video or anything of it but I mentally like played it back and like knew that if I like did something a little different I could have had it onto my feet instead of onto my ass you know so I I had that on deck mentally and then it was like 
all that pressure adding up to like, whoa, this could be the last day that there's powder, like better get something because your, your shots are kind of low, you know what I mean? And then get that and then get a couple more things and finish that part up and then have like the opening part in that movie. And the movie was sick and like everyone came through, like we had the sick edit, like sick songs, like Jeremy had that crazy ending part with like the skate footage and stuff in it. And uh-huh. then, so everything came through and it like... Like we we beat all that like pressure, you know what I uh-huh. mean. So to to come through that and then to be like, like I remember, I think you got a phone call from Jared, and he hadn't even seen the movie yet. Jared Eberhart, like, who was working on video gangs, and he, I think he said something to you along the lines of like, "I know you guys did it. Like I know you guys got the footage. Yeah, and, and the video's yeah. going to be sick." And he hadn't even seen it. Like yeah. no one had seen it, but he just knew because that's how in we went that like people just knew that we had this thing you know yeah yeah so to go from all that to like now here i am filming for chulk smack and i still got pressure because that doesn't just go away because the video's done and because video grass is done it actually probably made it worse because or not video grass excuse video me video gangs. gangs yeah video gangs didn't really pop off like probably how they wanted it to like there was sick footage in it, and those guys definitely went in and and did a good job of it but it didn't hit as hard as i think they wanted to especially like i went i know i went to a premiere and and people were going where's jp's part when it ended you know like they <laughs> were actually at the you're at the i was premiere, actually at the like, premiere and people were screaming it like no jp part what the fuck like they were pissed you know yeah because yeah. kids didn't know that yeah. i was like splitting it up that way so that was still kind of there going into Chulk Smack. And then that's when I had that whole thing like, fuck, man, I don't like this, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't like I don't like this pressure. I still got this, like, chances of getting hurt. Like, team probably still doesn't really like me or may- maybe having feelings about that or whatever. Like, not that I wouldn't see those guys and it wouldn't, everything wouldn't be all cool, but I'm sure that they, it, like, hurt them for a while, you know, yeah. just to know that I, like, stepped off like that. But that's kind of how that came to be where I started feeling like, I guess like that, that the mentality of it switched to like, this is hard to to do mentally. Yeah. Well, it was never hard to do mentally before. And then suddenly now it was, and, and being a, a, it really is a mental sport, you know, that's fucking hard thing to suddenly take into consideration. Like just, worrying about getting hurt or worrying about this or that. And like I say, being up on that drop and ramp and thinking about all this random shit that you have no business thinking of in that moment Mm -hmm. or suddenly Mm -hmm. like in your head. Anything to help distract you from what you actually have to do next, which is chuck yourself down some handrail and and work it. And that's like, I think that's what the mind does automatically. It's like, what can I create to get me out of this situation? Because my body actually doesn't want to do this anymore. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. And then there's another thing too. I think that like, like I'm all into the psychology stuff. I love this stuff. And the other thing that would help mount that that pressure is like when you're like when you're part of something like a crew, like the form eight, and like and I just know that like there's something that happens in like a in a crew and the and the mentality and and there's like this momentum that happens and it's really clear and you kind of feel like you're part of something. And then for the rest of your career, well, with those guys and when like it was kind of like you were somewhat of an outsider a little bit. Like mm-hmm. after that split had happened at mm-hmm. some point, there was like, even though, yeah, you were still friends with guys and you'd hang out with them and stuff, but there was like the forum eight wasn't the same after that. It doesn't right. seem like to me anyway. Well, yeah. Well, cause well, Jeremy was off. Vile was off. So the original forum eight guys were broken up, you yeah, know? Yeah. But then we re-upped with, with that, bringing some new guys on and pulling you back in to make that, you know? Yeah. So, and so that was, that, that brought that it back together, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, 
so so you have these mental blocks and you start having this like this like I don't want to be doing this and stuff. Mm -hmm. So um and we were just talking about how you went and I think you saw that guy in Solana or something like yeah. that first and I I did go see like just cuz I had so much pressure from from all that stuff. I did want to go see like a sports psychologist to try to like figure something out. I didn't know what it was. It wasn't like I was like having nervous breakdowns about it, but I was like, I was still on that mode of like, I want to do whatever it takes to become a better snowboarder. And if going and talking to some guy about how I'm feeling makes me a better snowboarder, I got no problem with that. Like yeah. I wasn't, I didn't have like, fucked them, whatever, you know? Yeah. You didn't have this like stigma around, yeah, I don't need no, help. And yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. You you're know? too smart for that actually yeah. is what I think it is. <laughs> yeah. So I did go see a guy and, and have a, like, I spent the summer going and seeing sessions with this guy and I don't think anything really groundbreaking happened with that, but I did get to like tell the guy my feelings and he was an outsider. So it's, you get to explain things in detail. And I guess that does feel good to just tell someone these feelings, you know? Yeah. And then um, that did help, I guess, a bit through that time. But then, you know, and since then there's been like other episodes where like you, you know, like it, the mind just weighs heavy, you know, because of just the level of snowboarding of, of how things are going and what's expected of you and stuff like that. So, and then I had that whole thing where I got hurt again and, and, it was like a repeat of like the shakedown thing. Like yeah. I, so it was now it's 2013. So pretty big jump between, between when I first saw that uh, shrink and then got hurt, but a lot of stuff happened in there. But for the most part, I was still like putting a video part out every year and doing my thing, you know, but then I got hurt in Utah. I fell off this roof trying to do like a roof transfer thing. And I hit the ground. Like I landed on dry cement from like really high up and I exploded my foot and I, it was the exact same thing where I landed and I was like, sweet, no pressure. I'm fucking hurt. You know what like I mean? I like, I can't do anything. Like, I can't do anything. So it was, it's just so weird to be like, I guess the pain hasn't really set in yet and you don't really know what you did, but you do know something's wrong because it's just, you, you know, you know a difference between like, I twisted my ankle and like I broke my leg, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or like I can got a hot pocket on my ankle. I'll walk this out in 15 minutes or like I actually got to go to the doctor or the yeah. hospital, you know? But it's just crazy to be like come off the thing, land, slam, take this intense pain to my foot and shatter these bones in my foot and arch and be like stoked for a minute. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, dude, I'm off the hook. Like, I don't got to, like, uh, I don't got to get in these situations anymore because I physically can't, you know? Yeah. And it was, and then I was like, but I can't say that. I'm the shakedown guy that says, I don't think like that. Yeah. <laughs> it says that right at the beginning of my part. It says, this yeah. is how we do it. This is how we do it. Yeah. You know? So it's like, is this how we do it? Like, fuck, I don't know. I'm like 10 years older than that now or more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like maybe 15 I don't know like that's that's it's pretty hard to this is how we do it at that point so that was just kind of like that was like a new thing like I did try to kick out of that like no I'm good I'm good and then from there it was just you know this all happened so fast like in a few seconds you have all these realizations and stuff like that and then it's, it's sure enough like the pain starts hurting you forgot all about that and you're just like off of the hospital trying to get your boot off without screaming you know yeah but from that it turned into I had to do a lot of rehab for that and my foot was broken this way that I couldn't get surgery on it. So it took, it just took a lot of rehab and being older and stuff like that and no surgical options and just a weird placement on the bone break and, ha and the pieces that it was in. 
that, that happened early in the winter. So I spent the rest of the winter kind of rehabbing it. And then I remember I came up to Whistler just to do my kind of thing, go snowmobile and try to ride some last minute powder while the snow was soft. My foot still hurt. You know, I'm like, fuck, that sucks. My foot hurts. But it, let, let me interrupt you for a second and back up because this is really important. Okay. Just a quick one. When you talk about rehabbing, what was rehabbing for you? Because- yeah, rehab for me was instantly like find like the gnarliest guy that I ever could that works on the gnarliest dude. So I like... Like physically or whatever. Physically, yeah. yeah, yeah physically, yeah. like to get like to find the best workouts, to find the best routines, stretching, massage, all these things. And so I do have a guy that work that works with me in Utah named Dan Brinkley. And he came and I couldn't even I was in a hospital bed at my house and he came over like every day after work and like would just basically check on me and work on me here and there and stuff. You, you had a hospital bed in your house? Yeah. Like yeah, because I couldn't go up and down the stairs where my bedroom was, so I just put a hospital bed in front of the TV upstairs so I could at least, like, get myself to the bathroom, you know? Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I had this hospital bed, and it was three months in the bed because it wasn't just, like, a typical six weeks thing. So it's, like, three months in the bed, and then then I could start putting weight, and that weight went from, like, I can go in a swimming pool up to my neck and wait and, oh, and, and wow. walk, like, yeah. that much weight. And yeah. then after a couple – a sessions like that I could go waist deep in the pool and walk you know like they were so scared that I was gonna like re-hurt this thing or that it wasn't healed you know mm-hmm. so I did all I did kind of all that basic stuff in the beginning that just like the doctor gives you like you know go to like the physiotherapy clinic at the hospital and do these things so I did that you know but from there I'm like hey I'm gonna do all this other shit too you know and I saw this guy in California that's he's like a Paul Check certified practitioner and i know about paul check from stuff with danny way Mm -hmm. and so i'm like danny way danny way cooking us tuna after he breaks his ankle so we can go hit the mega ramp again yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. so i'm like (laughs) danny way fucking does this shit like i'm i'm doing i'm gonna get in his same realm you know because that dude knows something about like getting back on the horse after he gets hurt and rehabbing and stuff more than anyone you know and Mm -hmm. he's he's hands down the gnarliest dude you know so i'm like i want to i got to get into that mode if I'm going to re-up, you know? So I met with these guys in California and like did this stuff and did a, did a ton of rehab all summer. And then, and then my foot still hurt though. So seven months later, my foot still hurt. And I like, I was going to come back up to Canada for summer camp and I knew I was going to be skating, but I hadn't skated all summer. So I'm like, I'm just going to go skate, fuck it. And like, see what happens and I I just had a feeling like if I did like a switch flip or a nollie flip it would hurt just the way my foot hurt but I was like I gotta see where this is at so I just like tried like a nollie flip and it just the way you have to roll your ankle just killed you know yeah so I'm like this is not right this has been seven months I've done all this shit like everything everyone's telling me to do Paul check like based like Chris Mond all these people are telling me all this stuff yeah who was that by the way is Chris Mond Chris Mond yeah, yeah and 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 the stuff Dan did for me in Utah when it happened early and stuff like that. So I feel like I should have just been way further along. So it didn't make any sense that I was still hurting, you know? Yeah. So I went back to a different doctor, like just a totally separate guy. And he found out that I still had a broken bone on a different part of my foot that the doctors missed because they were so Dude. concerned with this one part that I broke. Even uh. though I was like, that part doesn't hurt. This other part hurts. Like, okay, well, we don't see anything. So they missed this thing called a Jones fracture, which is apparently something that does actually get misdiagnosed. Uh huh. So then I had to go back in a cast after I'd been out. So I did imagine you do all this rehab, get strong. You're actually kind of pushing around riding bikes. I surfed a bit, skating it hurt, but I could do all these things. 
and now I'm back in a fucking cast. Like, uh, like, oh, dude, like, like, basically start back, start to the over, front, start, yeah. Start, but yeah. now put this bone stimulator on your foot because it's been so long that this thing's not been grown in that it needs like, it needs to fucking this special bone stimulator to hopefully make it grow. And if not, it's like a surgical thing. So while I was doing that, I did all that like stem cell shit. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like tell PR, me about that. Yeah, so that was. Like Chris Mond actually, I think, suggested like the stem cell stuff to me. And, and I was also seeing this guy, Guy Voyer, who like does the Eldoas, which is like kind of hard to explain, but it's like a series of moves for spine. Were you seeing Guy Voyer? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You're actually seeing the man. Yeah, I would go with Chris Mond to see Guy. Like I'd go, like, because Chris would see him to like learn new stuff and train with him for like the weekend when he's in town. And then while Guy was in town, he would see certain people that Chris fed him, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So me and Roberta both saw him. Oh, and, no way. Yeah, yeah. So he'd be like, it was pretty funny because he's like a f- wine-drinking Frenchman. So he'd be Wine-drinking, like, I heard he's wine-drinking, baguette-eating Frenchman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, so but he'd look at me like, do a couple of things, like look me over and be like, you regular. And I'm like, what? And he's like, regular foot, like your stance. And I'm like, yeah, I am. He's like, Yes, of course I knew this. Like, kind of, <laughs> no way, know. really? Yeah, yeah. And like, he's this crazy like scientist or yeah, whatever, yeah. right? Like, yeah, he yeah. like invented this whole Eldoa thing, which is like a, basically some kind of French acronym for these different spine strengthening exercises for people that have like spine problems, which is the whole world, you know? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, him and Chris said, yeah, go like check out um, stem cell and PRP stuff, you know, prolotherapy basically. So I went to this place in Valencia that was like, one of the first places that um, was doing that PRP stuff, they kind of came up with the technique of it. And so for what, for people that don't know, that's, that's PRP is platelet rich plasma. So they go in and they take your blood out and then they spin it in a centrifuge and get, get it separated and they get the platelets, which are the, like the healing part of the blood. So they take your own in a concentrated form and then they like inject it into areas that are traumatized so for me my foot and then i think they also shoot up other stuff that kind of like re-inflames and reinvigorates the area so it thinks it got hurt again Uh uh-huh so for me the theory behind it was i'd been hurt now for seven months and this thing hadn't healed and my body essentially like kind of has to move on and do its daily things and can't just concentrate on trying to fix this thing forever so in a way your body almost forgets about and has to move on so they re-hurt it your body thinks it's hurt, like they inflame it. It feels like I just like rolled my ankle basically. And then they dump my own platelets on top of it. So it gets my own platelets plus its own I'm hurt reaction, go fix this. So I did that a few times and crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that that helped. And then like I got like new updates on x-rays and stuff. And then I went there for another treatment. And with I think I just had like new x-rays or maybe new new results and stuff and they suggested that I do the stem cell version of that so it's basically the exact same thing except for they use your own stem cells instead of blood and they get your stem cells by hammering a giant metal straw that's about the size of a grande Starbucks no iced way. frappuccino drink into your hip <laughs> no yeah they tink 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 like hammer it in like they're and you're awake like it's like a it's a full surgical p- procedure in like an office but you're awake you know so they like hammer this thing in and then like give it a couple twists and keep hammering twist 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 hammer 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 uh-huh. and the lady's like wow your bones are really strong tink 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 like, <laughs> <No> <laughs> yeah so that was crazy just like and it just sucks because like 
they get your bone marrow out because that's where you can get your stem cells and your hip is like a big bone so it's easy for them to tap into and get this shit out you know so now they've got my my bone marrow they spin it down get it down to stem cell level and then they do the same thing where they look at my broken foot under ultrasound and have all these places on it marked where i tell them it hurts and they go around and re-inject my foot with my own stem cells you know and that's like the building blocks of everything stem cells you know so that that helps so between that going back in the cast and doing like the bone stimulator that bone actually healed itself you know Uh because then i was like i got out of the cast and i was like did my six weeks in it whatever because it was a walking cast so i could take it off to get those procedures done you know so then after the six weeks, it's like, okay, well, let's see if basically is this nollie flip going to hurt still, you know? Yeah. And it didn't. So I was like, okay, sweet, I'm good. So now it's like the end of summer pretty much. I've been like working on this thing for nine months to get re-upped. And I'm coming into to film this 32 video, which was 32's uh, first full-length snowboard film with their whole team, like, and it was their also their 20-year anniversary as a brand, so it was a big deal. And I'd been on 32 for a long time, and they supported me like for quite quite a few many years, especially after all like the whole falling out with Burton and Forum and all that stuff. So it was important for me to get good footage for this video, you know. And so, but I'm coming off this injury, and so all that stuff I did before was just like the physical aspect of getting better. I didn't know that like my head was totally fucked from that whole thing uh-huh. until I got in front of the camera the first day to start filming. And, and I had like a, basically like a, not a panic attack, but I just like shut down. It was like a fight or freeze. And I totally went into freeze and didn't, I couldn't perform. It wasn't, it wasn't the day, the day I was filming, but it was the night before. Cause I'd been out there kind of working on this spot, building it up, getting it ready for the next day. And I knew it, and so I finally knew it was on because I knew the spot was all ready to go because it was kind of like a big build on this big reservoir spillway thing. And I was just like, I can't do it. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, I I know that's on deck tomorrow, and I was like, I just can't go. I'd, I'm like seriously like on the floor, curled up in a ball, like done. You know, like crying, no confidence. I can't do this. Don't want to do this. It just popped up out of nowhere. I didn't, I, this whole time I'm like sitting here like rehabbing my fucking face off. Yeah. Go, go, go. Got to get back in the game. Like totally motivated to get back in the game and get this fixed. And the whole time this thing was there that I didn't, didn't even know about, you know? Uh-huh. Like the, the, the mental, the, the, yeah. the technical, like the psychosomatic aspects of the, of the, of the injury or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of like a PTSD thing that kind of, I mean, that that's kind of how it was explained to me. It was like. I got hurt, but then I wasn't really in any kind of traumatic situations after I got hurt that would have like brought to the surface my PTSD. There there was kind of one thing that popped up with that Oakley video that I kind of mentioned to you, that for me video where uh-huh. they were shooting some intro stuff for that. And like, there's kind of like the, the famous part in that where they're asking me about the double cork. And I, it looks like I have this breakdown and start crying about oh my God, I did this double cork and it was so great. I have to shed tears, but it actually wasn't about that. It was about, that was right when I was back in the cast. Uh-huh. So I went to do this interview shoot and like, I'm sitting there with all these shreds that rip, you know, like the new the new generation of Oakley riders, a bunch of the older guys and like a, just a bunch of industry heads. And people were telling me like, that's sick, you're here. All the young guys said all this sick stuff about you. And it just made me feel like really... It just made me feel really weird that I was 
hurt, hadn't done anything for a while, couldn't do anything, didn't know if I'd be able to do anything. And then all these people were saying all these things about me. And then I'm sitting there talking about all these great things I supposedly did in detail. But it was like, as I was saying all that, I was like having this realization that, well, I'm never going to do any of those things again. And Mm -hmm. that's why I got so choked up and watered up on the thing. You know, it wasn't like, like I say, it wasn't like I did a double court tears, you know? Yeah. It was like, yeah. And (laughs) the thing I'm wondering about is, is, uh, you know, here you are, you've had this career and, and then, yeah, you're going to Oakley and you're shooting this thing and it's like, I would imagine, I don't know, I could be totally wrong, but these guys are all like, it, it just cause something similar happened for me. It's like, it's like when I, I, I so can't stand people who talk about things and I can't stand it when people talk about it. And I'm just so much more about doing it and just like, let's not talk, but let's just, until I, until I do something, I can't talk. Mm-hmm. And so when I was out of the game for a while, <clears throat> people were talking about stuff I used to do and things. It's like, I'm getting all this praise, but inside I'm like, I'm a fucking fraud right now. Yeah. Like, I'm one of those people who's talking about what they've done, done and not actually what they're doing. And did that happen for you a little that, bit? That's, that's exactly what it was. And I, I didn't know any of that was there, you know, cause yeah. I just, I didn't, I had, I just thought I was going to go up, a- answer a couple questions for this Oakley movie and go home. And instead it's like, as I'm getting filmed in front of camera, all this shit's hitting me, you know, like, mm-hmm. like what you said, like I'm a fraud, you know what I mean? Like I didn't film shit for this Oakley video. Like all these dudes went in ham on it. And luckily it was like a documentary thing and they were able to like use a bunch of archive footage of myself for it. But it's like, I didn't film one clip for it. And like all these guys are saying I'm sick and I'm like, I'm not sick because I didn't film anything for it. And that's how I think I'm sick is what, by what I filmed. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's how, that's how I value every single yeah. thing of how I am. And so you're, you're like almost 12, well, at that point, probably what, seven months out of doing anything. Yeah. Seven months, just freshly back in that cast. Like, don't really know what's going on with my foot. You know what I mean? Like that movie's coming together. Like I've seen little bits and pieces of it. And I'm just like, dude, what, I have no business being in this thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so every time someone tells you something that they're stoked on you, it actually, I don't know, like, this is what it was like for me. It's like, people tell me they're like, when I was down and going through my shit, it was like, people are telling me how stoked they are. And it's actually worse. It's like, it's like, oh, stoked when you did this. And it's just like, it's almost like another nail in the coffin of me actually thinking yeah. I'm a pile because I haven't done anything for a while. Yeah. Like this pressure I put on myself. It, it makes you feel like further away from, from that. It makes it seem more in the past, the more people were talking about it, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then you're actually on camera talking about the past so it's even more oh, so, dude, so i'm just like okay, like that was sick that i did that double cork and it gave me a good feeling like it definitely gave me like one of my greater feelings i guess in snowboarding like a lot of things i've done like trick wise have given me like amazing feelings but of course that's like one of the top ones but i was just like it, i was remembering what that felt like to get like a nbd type clip you know yeah and i was just like wow well that's obviously never going down again because i'm sitting here a fraud in a cast yeah. in Southern California. Uh, so what far the fuck, away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of a sidebar to the fact that, that or that was, that was kind of, I guess, the first clue that there was something mentally off, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But from there, it was just like, okay, go back home, keep rehab and go through the winter, did that PRP stem cell stuff, and then got the cast off and thought it was all good, went home to Utah and started filming for that 2032 movie and then realized that like when it came down to it, like, cause I spent a few days out at that spot building it. Cause it was like a big, kind of like a big feature based spot that needed like a big tranny at the bottom and it had a big 
jump for the takeoff. So it was like a step up to the top of a spillway with like a big cement bank. So it was like basically step up to like a big lip trick and then ride down like 20 or 30 feet of concrete to like a snow tranny, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was a possibility that I could potentially like fuck up and go too far or get locked in on the thing and outgo my tranny that I built and land on dry cement, which is essentially what I got hurt with in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like I landed from really high on dry cement. Yeah. So I'm out there building that thing for two or three days. One day, the first day Seth Hewitt came and helped me build it. And so I was there with him just shooting the shit. But then the next two days I was out there by myself building it. So I'm like just staring at this thing by myself, like fucking tripping myself out. Yeah, know? yeah. But yeah. have but the feelings were normal because I always get like a little edgy when I'm setting stuff up because you start thinking about how you're going to go at it, you know. So it wasn't like a super red flag, but it's like, yeah, I'm getting like elevated like as this thing comes together and realizing what it's going to actually take. Cause it's one thing to envision it, but it's another thing to actually put it together and do it, you know? Uh-huh. And as it gets shaped up, that vision can become more of a reality or less of a reality, you know? So yeah. So then I just had that full breakdown and I was like home, like my wife Roberta was there and she was just like talking me into like, I know you can do it. Like gave, basically gave me this like confidence boost somehow just like, talked me into it you know because i was like ready to just like step off completely you know mm-hmm. and i kind of just went out there on like the fact of like she told me i can do it so i trust her so i guess i'll go try it you know yeah yeah there was yeah. There, none of it none of it was me that felt like it could be done it was just on like i've done this type of stuff before and she says i can do it so i'll i'll go try it and she was like she was just had a, a strong conviction about it the way she told told it to me because yeah. she saw how bad I was hurting, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. So so I ended up getting through that. It got a few things out there and that obviously helped, but in the mix of all that, that set me on to seeking help, like actual real like psychological help for that. You mm-hmm. know, because I was like, yeah. that was that I just can't do that, you know? Well the the thing I I, I wanna interject too is like you're the type of guy who doesn't like to get paid for doing nothing right like it's, you're not a lazy guy and so then you've got like now you're like a year deep of injury and you got this sponsor that has been super cool and supportive of you so you, i i know you the kind of mm-hmm. person you're like i owe these fucking guys like i gotta pop this off i want to make these guys stoked totally and and then so then not only are you sitting there having this like breakdown thing or whatever you want to call it and then, you you know, you go into this dark place and it's like, there's all this other pressure that you're putting on yourself that's just brutal. So it's not only are you like, I'm having this PTSD, but there's this external story you're telling yourself. And I, I actually call that, I call that like a weakened state, like when a person's in a weakened state and a lot of people don't understand, like when a person's in a weakened state, you got to kind of be delicate around them and not tell them what to do because they're already doing such a damaged job on themselves. And right. like Roberta uh, stepping in and being like, you can do this and you're trusting her. Like that's at some points I've needed that. I've actually needed people to be like, like there's this big thing in therapy about don't ever tell your client this and that, but there's sometimes I've been so hurting where I've actually been really helpful when someone else has gone like, dude, you got this, like you mm-hmm. can do this. And I've had, that's all I've had to go on. Like, so I, t- when you just said that, I was like, yeah, like I'm going to go on this because my wife told me she believes I can do this. Yeah. But then I'm stoked. You went and got still, we're like, okay, I still got to get, do some work around this. So, For sure. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that, that totally makes sense. What, what you're saying. It's like, it's just a fucked up place to end up in. You know what I mean? The worst. To, to like go from like thinking you're like the hardest motherfucker to like shaking in a corner like I can't fucking snowboard anymore. Like yeah. this thing that you think is like, you know, if, 
you've been doing professionally and on this high level for so long, it should just be second nature. But that just goes to show like how much of it is like a mental thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I did seek out like, like, um, psychological help. And I, I, talked to this guy alan goldberg and i did a lot of sessions with him via skype he was a sports psychologist i basically found him by actually roberta i think found him just by looking on the internet like sports psychologists that you can talk to like talk to over the internet or something like that or he i don't know i actually don't know how she found him but she did and then i saw he wrote a book and i immediately downloaded the book and i'm like trying to read it and it wasn't super relevant to my situation because it was one of his older books and stuff and then she found out that i could get on skype with him so now here i am doing like skype phone calls with this guy that's out on the east coast super cool guy like totally understood my whole deal and stuff doesn't really know anything about snowboarding but it's like listened to everything i had to say about it and did a bunch of stuff with me to help me get through it's like it's that's kind of a long story there like all the stuff that i did in therapy with him but essentially like he got me through he 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 made it so that i could relive that experience of getting hurt off the roof from a safe place and realize that i'm okay and it sucked and it hurts and my foot hurts when i walk now and that's lame but i'm okay i'm okay like he kept telling me you're okay you know yeah yeah and it and it took a while for me to realize that i was okay you know especially cuz like it's it's one thing to tell yourself you're okay and then you get up from sitting down for five minutes and you got a limp for 10 minutes till you know uh-huh. and you sit down for another uh-huh. five it's like constantly there you know so it's kind of hard to forget about so it was it was a long process working with him on all that stuff but i i feel like i did get through it like in the beginning i couldn't even like tell him the story of what happened without crying into the laptop you know what i mean yeah i don't know i mean how much do you want to know about all that well just well <laughs> i mean I mean, the, 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 the point I like to get back to is like, um, like it's weird. I mean, and for anybody who doesn't know is listening to this, like I, I love, I love digging into the human psyche and it's, it's funny. Like, um, so, so many times our bodies will, will, will be taking care of us and we don't even know it. So like the fact that you're like hurled up in a, in a, in a fetal position crying in this or whatever, before you're supposed to shoot that is actually this is messed up, but your body's actually taking care of you and saying, uh-uh, we ain't doing this. There's, there's dry concrete out there. And the last yeah. time you land, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, so the, the, the problem, I think a lot of the time with this stuff is a lot of people go to doctors and they get, they get hand, they get handed a prescription mm-hmm. and they don't stay in the discomfort long enough to, to actually figure out what's going on, which is what you did. And we just had a talk the other day about some people we know who are going through this stuff, ex snowboarder Mm -hmm. slash skateboarder, whatever types. And they basically are like having this massive anxiety and everything. And, and basically the doctors, I mean, I think even that first psychologist you went to was offering you pills. It's like, yeah, yeah. Have some anxiety. He's like, he's like, I'll, I diagnose you with like a mild anxiety. And if, if, if you want something for it, I can hook you up. But that was kind of like, that was like the final diagnosis. It wasn't any, like I, he didn't dig deep or anything like yeah, I yeah, yeah. Alan and try to get to the root of it or the bottom of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of people don't want to, too. A lot of people just, um, and you know, this isn't to bag on Western medicine and all that stuff, but it's like, it's really as easy just for people to go, okay, like have this pill, except my belief is that when we have depression or we have anxiety, it's our bodies are trying to tell us something and there's, and something's up and you need to do things differently. And if you take the pill and don't get me wrong, like sometimes people are like some of those drugs actually really work. Like some of that stuff works for some people and everybody's different, but 
I think there's a large, like way, way, like I'm going to say upwards of 90% plus people are prescribed psychiatric drugs and SSRIs they're called. And basically people get prescribed those and then they get comfortable and then they never stay uncomfortable long enough to go do the work where they end up calling a guy Goldberg and speaking into a, a Skype because you didn't do any SSRIs. No. You actually worked through it with someone. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you were willing to do the work, which right. my, what I've learned is you got to do the work and sure. there's lots of really good resources out there, but definitely try and do all that before you go stuffing mitts full of pills in your mouth. Because yeah. trust me, if you're worried about the money, that'll end up costing you a lot more money in the long run. If you just basically go into a comatose depressed state for five years, you for know, sure. it's like, it seems like a good idea when you're hurting, but in the long run, it's not necessarily always the best route. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and it's understandable that, how easy it is to go that pill route because you are in that weakened state, like you're saying, and it doesn't feel good to be in this like anxiety mode where you're heightened and you're just, it doesn't feel good. So like you want to get out of it. So a pill's an easy out, you know, and it's what I did at least. Like I basically had to go relive this thing over and over, over to get through it. So that doesn't feel good. You uh -huh. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, it's, and then, yeah. and it's just like, it's just, it's, it's hard to like, want to do that you know and I, and I just I mean who knows I didn't even I guess I didn't really think about a pill I just like and the fact that I did it over Skype at first with Alan like maybe if I had to just like went to like my local doctor and they said well do you just fucking pop this pill and like call me over the weekend you know I could have maybe fallen into that but I got lucky and Roberta found that guy and I had a session with him and I was like okay hey, that was lame like sitting there crying into the laptop, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing that because uh -huh. why not? You know, it can't, it's not going to make it worse. You know, I'm already like defeated basically. So I'll, I'll stick to that and go. And then, and it was, a, it took a long time, but I got through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you understand it now and you understand yeah. what it is and you understand that, that your body was telling you no, because it was trying to protect yourself and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a PTSD thing, you know, I, I explained it to him and he's just like, yeah, you, you had a post, you're having post-traumatic stress disorder from this event and you could get it, you could have got it the first time you ever got hurt and you just happen to get it now. It just, it's different for everybody, you know, it's mm -hmm. not, you can't say that like you've got this many slams or this many concussions before you're hit with PTSD. It's just like, you could go like fall on the ice, ice skating. You're like, fuck it. I'm never ice skating again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now that I've kind of lived through this, I can see situations, I think, of why a guy maybe that I thought was a really good snowboarder and kind of just disappeared or kind of saw him like, like maybe getting angry or frustrated easy and, and just not having fun. And then suddenly he wasn't a pro snowboarder anymore when you knew he was still good yeah. and could do this shit, but he just, he just had to step off for whatever reason. I, I think that that comes up a lot for these guys because you can't just get hurt over and over and over and do all these stunts and put yourself in high anxiety situations and not eventually have this happen to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like that's why you you either stop snoring because you're having these feelings or you're too hurt to continue snoring because you got like seriously fucked up or you just can't afford it because you, your sponsors dropped you or something. Otherwise, why stop? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a sick gig, you know? So it's like, <laughs> I've got sponsors that are still paying me. I got, I did the physical therapy side and got that back on track so I could physically do it, but I couldn't do that other part. You know what I mean? So I could have like walked away on that account, but yeah, kind of stuck it out and, and sorted it through. So 
I think a lot of people go through this shit. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not easy. And it's yeah. it's it's well, it's actually I call it messy. It gets messy. And when it gets messy, it's like a lot of people don't want to stick around through messy, so they'll basically take an easier route. And I don't like you said, I don't blame anybody. Like it's like it's it, to go in that weakened state is this the worst place I've ever been in my life. Like I was just grasping when I, I ended up seeing Paul check myself and like basically there were some points in our right in the beginning of us talking that I I needed someone to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Like I, I actually couldn't make decisions for myself and I didn't need it to be some blue faced fat psychiatrist who was trying to beak pills down my throat, mm-hmm. which was happening a for lot. Sure. Like people were trying to tell me I was broken. I needed this. I needed that. And so I think we're just lucky that we came across other ways of dealing with it. Yeah. I think that just too, like this, the skateboarder snowboarding us. Cause we've always been doing things the other way the other you know way I mean? yeah 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 like yeah. if you're just like a civilian i guess like yeah you get sick you, t- you go to the doctor you take pill you know yeah. but we've always like I, I would think have like a different outlook on our perspective of how we look at things we don't see like a ledge in a in a or a planter box we see a skateable ledge you know what I mean? yeah, we don't yeah, see yeah. A, a set of stairs that are hard to go up we see a handrail you go down you know yeah right? yeah these type of things so a quick story here but i went and saw this so i was in this like super bad place and i was in this and i had to because of this legal battle i was in i had to go see this like court appointed psychiatrist and when i saw her i think i was in the rock bottom like rock bottom of of my life like i was just like i am a piece of shit i haven't done anything in five years i'm i'm just a fraud basically probably the same thing mm-hmm. and i go see this woman and she does this like two or three hour assessment of me basically I'm in a weakened state. I'm just like, I'm so desperately looking at someone to fix me that I'm just like hanging off every word, you know? And so she's just like, you know, I'm going to have to testify in court, but if you want the Coles notes of what I see, I'm going to let you know. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'd like that. And I'm just like this wide-eyed kid, like basically save me, you know? Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, so, you know, there's certain things we look for in people that are depressed and everything. And she's like, so here's the deal. It's like, you have this back injury. And then as soon as your back feels a little bit good, your head turns in this other way. And she goes, basically what I'm telling you is you're the, she said, you're the poster, you could be the poster boy for depression. Like you're, (laughs) you're, you're clinically depressed. You're, you know, and I'm like, I'm looking at her and she's like, and you need to take antidepressant medication. Like you need to get on um, a heavy dose or you're never going to get out of this. And then I'm like, so, so I went from feeling like 10 out of 10 shitty that day to 15 out of 10 shitty Mm because I'm like, I got this person telling me I'm fucked basically and that I need to take pills. Like I, that happens. And basically I did, I took like antidepressants for like five days and it was the worst five days of my life. And then I just finally, just like my body said, no, don't do this. You got to stop. I'm like, forget that. Like I need to stop. I need to figure this out. So I stopped that. But there's the point of the story. Two, Two years later, I'm going to court with this, over this insurance bullshit in my back. And I have to do a re-up with this psychiatrist. But at this point, this is after seeing Paul check. This is like, I've got my shit back. I'm like, like my, my back's doing way better. I'm stretching. I'm like, I'm, I'm in shape. And I worked with Paul and I worked with some other people that totally sorted me out. And I walk into the same psychiatrist thing and I'm not in a weakened state anymore. In fact, I'm feeling pretty fucking good about myself. And I walk in and I'm like looking at this person. What do I see? She hasn't changed a bit, but she's, she's fat. She's, she well, sorry, overweight. Like mm-hmm. she's overweight. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but skin blue, um, bad style, ugly office, 
Like there's nothing, like not to judge this person on a material level, but there's nothing about this person that I'm impressed with. Mm-hmm. And why the fuck would I listen to this person? Mm-hmm. I never would listen to this person. And this person has actually been trapped in an office her whole life, telling people what's wrong with them and dishing medication. Like that's the actual reality of the situation. And I'm like, holy fuck, man. I, I, and she was giving it to me and she's telling me right then and there again, yeah, you're still depressed. You need to do medication. You're doing this, you're doing that, like the whole same thing. And I'm like, I'm not fucking depressed. And she's like, yeah, I know it seems like that. And then she's like telling me all this stuff and I'm looking at her going, and I'm like, that's why I mentioned that thing about weakened state. When you're in a weakened state, you got to be careful what you're saying to someone. Cause that chick, when she told me I was the post up over depression, almost sent me over the fucking edge. Dude. For sure. And then, but then I had this unique perspective of being like, oh, I would never even want to be this person for five minutes. Why the fuck would I listen to him? Which is the old me. Like, like if you are going to get treated by someone, if you're going to go do some kind of therapy or do any kind of searching or anything, the, the best, best thing to do is to take a look at the person and how they live their life and be like, like, that's why I worked with Paul Check Cause I'm like, well, first of all, he patched up Danny way mm-hmm. and that's a whole disaster in itself. Like the shit that guy's gone through and he fixed him up. And then like, you look at how Paul leads his life and it's like, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. That guy's strong. He actually does what he says. He's, he's, he's good. How many people go, how, how in our system we go to those people who just have no clue who we are like that. I think that psychiatrist was one of the people who said to me, oh, you're one of those crazy skateboarders. Right. And I was like, <laughs> what? Like, you know, I'm here for mental health. Yeah, right? yeah. And she couldn't wrap her mind around how I'd live my life. Right. Anyway, I don't know why I got off that tangent, except it was just such a unique situation to go back to the same person and go, wow, I was really hurting back then. And mm-hmm. now I'm like tight. I'm not going to listen to a word this person has for to sure. say. So, well, it's, it's just sweet that you're able to like make that clarification and see that that was happening instead of get sucked into the system. You know oh, oh, the, totally. And, and it was just, um, I remember, I remember walking out of the second appointment, just shaking my head going, man, this is messed up. Like how many people walk in to doctors and get told that they're screwed. They need to take antidepressants and they walk out and then mm-hmm. they're screwed. And it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just a nasty reality that in our society, we, you know, the doctor is considered doctor knows best. Right. Doctor doesn't know best. Um, we know best or people close to us know best, not doctor knows best. But then we, we, we you know, that, that message we've had, I'm just ranting right now, but mm-hmm. what I wanted to talk about next was like, I knew, I knew you were still filming and doing stuff, but I was off doing all this training and stuff. And then but then you do that interview with Snowboarder, right? And yep. then you talk about- It was with the, Snowboard, Snowboard. Oh, Snowboard, yeah. yeah. So you basically do that interview and then it was funny. Like I hadn't heard anything from you from other people. Mm-hmm. And then like my phone blew up and everybody was sending me that interview mm-hmm. and how stoked they were on on you and that you actually like talked about that stuff. Right. Did people respond to that in a positive way? Like, like yeah, what, they what, did. what happened? They, they did respond to it in a positive way for sure because- it's hard because something something like that along those topics is actually pretty hard to get in print, you know. It's hard to you don't have much space and it's like it's detailed information about like all this psychology sitting and just even the story itself how it came to be that point like eats up a lot of like characters, you know. Yeah. So right then and there like to get that out and get it in print 
and then get get an, an extended cut online, something that in this day and age where everything's so quick, like social media, just like no one has any focus whatsoever, that someone either would have to click a link, which people can't even bring themselves to click a link to leave like Instagram or whatever, yeah. and go to something they had to read now, like taking all that into consideration, like the amount of like, response i got from it was crazy for sure like all types of people were hitting me up like just a lot of like fans like that's sweet like didn't know all that stuff like a lot of guys in industry and then even other professional a couple other professional snowboarders like kind of hit me up on the low like man glad to hear that like i'm like going through some crazy shit myself like Uh i'm just like at a weird place with my snowboarding and stuff and like so it i i don't know i guess like i'm I think I said it in the interview, like I kind of, from hanging out with you a lot, kind of learned how to like not give a fuck. Like not, I do give a fuck, but like you've kind of like, yeah, yeah, you've kind of spit that game for a long time. And I've tried to, <laughs> that's something I kind of feel like I've, I've learned from you, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause before, like, you know, when I'm like, rolling around in a bins with a do rag talking about the barrels <laughs> I'm getting doesn't really fit with like, now I'm like, curled up in a corner like crying crying into <laughs> <Yeah>. a laptop <laughs> it's a pretty far it's a pretty far jump you know what i yeah. mean so like <laughs> do rags you know what i mean like getting <laughs> so you can't it's it's just like it's it's hard to say how that's gonna play out when you put something out like that you know so yeah people were receptive to it and people were were stoked for sure and I, i'm i guess i like i was at a point where i was like I don't give a fuck like what people say about it. Like I, I feel good enough to say it. Cause it was kind of, you know, Jens is who hit me up from, from snowboard to do the interview. And, and I wasn't really planning on talking about that stuff, but it was like, we just started talking about it, you know? And mm-hmm. I just kind of hit him with that. And then he was stoked and it kept going. So it was like, it wasn't a planned thing. It was like, man, I got, I got some big, like journey I went through I got to get this out it just kind of came off and then I just did it and then he was like that's sick like can we we run that and I was like yeah for sure you know uh-huh and 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 yeah the response was was definitely good and and if anything just like to let people know like like even the like I say the dude driving around the bends with the do-rag like can't doesn't like have it all together it might seem like it you yeah, know yeah, but like yeah. went through like that was like a pretty dark you know like and hard to get through and that might have that might have been the end of it for me you know? yeah yeah so you put you put the work in and you and you found the right people and you're able to get back on yeah so it's doable it's, it's basically doable. what you're saying it's doable yeah it's not like you know and if and if me telling that story about how like i was like totally ready to hang it up happy to hang it up because it just felt so much more comfortable just to walk away because no more anxiety no more physical pain no, none of these things you know to like yeah, like to get through it and go and and go again and make a good go of it. Like it's, it, I guess, yeah, it's doable, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it didn't, it didn't come easy. It took work. Didn't come easy at commitment. all. Yeah. 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 So, it's kind of like whether it's because of the internet or times are changing or whatever. But you, it's kind of like you can't fool anybody anymore. And like, kind of like the hero thing's dead. Like no mm-hmm. one really. No one, it's just not, and it's like people actually are more interested in hearing what's really going on. For sure. You know, dude, there, there is a time for do-rags and bends. For sure. Like, dude, that yeah. was the funnest shit ever. For like, sure, I don't, yeah. I'm not going to bag on that. No. I'm sure you're not either. No. And luckily, 
There's like it would be probably the most pathetic thing in the world if you're rolling a do rag right now trying to put twenty sixes on the new bends for the new part. You know what yeah, I mean? for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it is interesting. It's like when people drop the guard and drop the shit. I've found it's like oh, like even that even that podcast I did with that F and Rad thing. People are like, dude, I needed to hear that stuff. Like it's important for to, sure to 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 pass that on. And it's, and, and it doesn't always need to be sounding like depressing and hell and stuff like that. It's just like, it's just, it's just humans. We go through this shit and mm -hmm. the painting, the picture, like everything's perfect all the time. Doesn't work. Mm -mm. It's like, it's not, you know, and I've been a big part of painting that perfect picture. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's in our, like, it's kind of what we're supposed to do in a way, making these films, you know, like yeah, it's yeah. just kind of a byproduct of what we do, like trying to get like hammer footage and make sick videos is like. It looks glamorous, and it, and it is for yeah. sure. But that doesn't mean there's not that whole other side to it, you know, of like mm -hmm. anxiety and and stress and depression and all these things, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's see. We can talk about JP the introvert. It's funny because like you have yeah, so you have this image of like like whatever the image was from True Life and Resistance and mm -hmm. all this and 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 I don't know. There's a part of it wasn't just all bullshit. It was no. like super like who you were. And also there's also this other part. Like just now when you said you said, you know, I learned not to give a fuck. Well no, actually I think you care a lot about it people and what's important. I think what what you don't give a fuck about and what you didn't give a fuck about in that interview was what doesn't matter. And it was like if people don't like me because of the truth, well, fuck it. It doesn't exactly. matter. That's and what it was. That's yeah. what it was. And it's like, you didn't give a fuck. I mean, because I went through that too. Like a lot of people are like, man, that guy doesn't give a fuck about nothing. It's not true. It's actually, I care a lot about what, what matters to me. And I do not give a fuck about what doesn't. And I'm willing to just say it and be mm -hmm. it. And it's like, fuck it. Like, I don't fucking care what other fucking people think, you know, it's like a, it's a freeing place to be, but so what about being an introvert, dude? Tell me about this. Tell me. Tell I don't me. know. Like, I think it's kind of like a new, like new, newer realization for me, you know? And it's funny just cause it is in contrast to all that like stuff that was in, in the old videos, like resistance and tree life and all that. And that's not to say that that, that stuff, like it looks like that, all that stuff looks pretty flamboyant and whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was like, <laughs> it was like I did have a, I did have that bends and like, I did like I did run do rag and I did listen to all that hip hop music so and run chain so it's not saying that <laughs> run you know what I mean yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. saying that that wasn't me but it is it, it's kind of funny because like I've kind of found out that like I actually like need like serious amounts of alone time to like recharge yeah. and that's like a trait for introverts I guess you know it's like and I can get tired quickly when there's like a lot of convo and like group situations like it's like I'll be, that'll really exhaust me, you know? So it's just kind of funny that like, I've kind of found this out about myself. And, and meanwhile, I'm putting out like all this, you know, this image that's kind of contrary to that. You Total know? opposite. Even though it's, even though it's not false, like I'm saying that stuff I'm putting out, it's just, you just wouldn't think that a guy that actually like, I'd rather just go home and be by myself and chill yeah. and stretch and not see anybody or talk to anybody because <laughs> yeah. yeah. that doesn't that doesn't chew into my energy resources. Yeah. Like that, like that's, that sounds fun to me. You know Yeah, I mean? yeah It's yeah. just kind of weird because you wouldn't think that like all the stuff I put out, that's actually the type of guy I am. You know, I like to go home, be alone and just fucking think about snowboard tricks. You yeah. Know, just think about skateboard tricks. How am I going to do these new things? What ideas can I get for edits? And I need to be like alone for long periods of time to process this shit. Like, 
through my head. You know, it's it's kind of a weird thing, but. I remember we were in Japan that one time and like, I don't know if you remember that, but like, I, I, I'm sure you've been in, I, I wasn't there for some of them, but that I think was one of the biggest, largest uh, autograph signing sessions I think you ever did. And I think you and Peter were getting mobbed and I think mm-hmm. that whole crazy scene, but wasn't that like 10 hours or something like that? Wasn't it like super, Probably, it was yeah. a day, dude. The I remember I had, to like body, like, yeah. I had to bodyguard you to the bathroom and stuff. So you had to take piss breaks and yeah, shit like, like that. Yeah, like make a run so, for it kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. here's introvert JP Walker and you're signing like hours and hours and yeah. hours. And actually I've seen you with people. You actually take the time to actually connect with each person. And then like, so what happens yeah. after that? Are you just bagged up? Yeah, like it's crazy. Like n- not so much back then, probably just because I had more stamina because I was younger, you know, but nowadays it's like if I'll go like on a long handrail trip for a few days and it, or, or for a few weeks and it might just be with a few guys or whatever. But by the end of that, like all, like all I can think about is like, man, it's going to be sweet to walk through like, the airport and change fucking planes by myself really yeah Yeah. and just like walk through some city i don't know nobody knows me like hopefully no one recognizes me in the airport so i because i'm like just need to like totally shut it off and just Mm -hmm. like and even like man i'll even catch like a few day layover in paris just to like so i don't even have to go home because then if i go home i'll actually have to see someone and tell them about my trip and i'm just (laughs) i'm not even ready for that you know what i mean like it's, it's crazy dude but it's like it's just it's just kind of something that I guess has always been there for me, but it's just kind of it's gotten stronger as I've got older. You know what I mean? Not to say that like I'm gonna like disappear and become like some hermit or something, but it is like it is part of my personality most definitely that I need to be alone to recharge essentially. You know, yeah, whereas yeah. like someone that's an extrovert, like they recharge by being around other people and like conversing with other people and being super social and if they're if they're kept alone for a long period of time or whatever they they're going to start to feel drained on energy where i'm the complete opposite you know mm-hmm, what I mean? like mm-hmm. like basically i'm smoked after this podcast <laughs> yeah, for a couple right? of days like you <laughs> need, you're gonna be done <laughs> so when you say when you say alone is it like even with your wife or is, or is does that count as like does that yeah i mean like that's i mean even what i'm saying like when i'm like man like i could go home and like i could see my wife or i could fucking delay this this trip and like extend my layover in a foreign country for a few days and just like come down from this rail trip because I'd just been staring at handrails and generator and lights and torches for like two weeks straight. And mm-hmm. I could actually like to for me for me to jump to that to like now I'm in California like looking at my wife and trying to like relate to what she's doing. It's like it's such a huge jump for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where I can like just have a have a break and like inch back into like civilian life almost you know what I mean like I kind of need that you know I can do it you know obviously I want to come home and see my wife and stuff but it's like she she knows that she's the one that kind of like told me that she's like I think that this is you you know and she like read some books about it and like and like was like that you're an introvert yeah (laughs) you know what I mean like you you need to be alone you know yeah and then and it was crazy because she told me like She's like, your dad was like that too, you know? And so, and that was like a big thing for him. Like, I just, I didn't know that he was like that because I didn't even really know what an introvert was, but I, now I know that he actually was that. And it kind of helps me understand probably why he just had a hard time, like yeah, be, being, being, you yeah. know, you know, and, and probably why like booze was like a sweet answer to that. You know what I mean? Cause he's, he's a salesman. So he's like, ha- actually has to go get in front of people and make a sale, which for me, like, being like an introverted personality seems like 
like so scary yeah you yeah yeah I mean? <laughs> like you had to put yourself out there yeah. be salesperson confrontational and all yeah, that in, yeah. in, so he, in people's faces and exactly. stuff so. so so i get that you know he he i think he definitely was an introvert you know so it just it's cool you know like roberta learned that about me and and told that to me where i just thought i was like man i just need a fucking few days after this rail trip to fucking get my bearings straight because mm-hmm. i can't it's like almost like you're coming back from nom and you can't you've got like PTSD. Dude, you know what that I mean? is that is I cannot even tell you like like I have I have my own theories about about this whole thing about PTSD and 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 Vietnam and I've I study this stuff and it's like dude like a lot of people come home like I know what it's like to have a crew of people and to be focused on something and then all of a sudden have that taken away. That's so discombobulating. It's so like I totally get what you're saying. And, and, and here's the thing is every, see this whole myth of normal is a total fucker because everybody's supposed to be the same. That's not the way it is. Like some people need time to like go from one situation to another. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think a lot of people do. And why a lot of people get themselves in trouble is they just bomb around the planet thinking like, Oh, I'm supposed to be able to handle anything. And then you know, like you, you and Roberta, like you come into back into her universe. Mm-hmm. It's like total opposite universes. You guys have been away from each other. You've created total different realities while you've been away. Mm-hmm. And then you basically, while you're in on a rail trip, it's people just don't understand until you go do a rail trip. You don't understand yeah, what it's like. Totally. And then you, it just makes total sense to me that you need a couple of days to like wind it down For sure, and like, yeah. and it makes the biggest difference to kind of like get back to ground zero. And now yeah. you can step in worse versus like, honey, I'm home. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're supposed to be eating chia bowls and chilling out. And yeah. you've just done like 24 days of like on a grind filming only nights and yeah. in a foreign country. Yeah. So it's like, and humans need time to to deal with change. And sure, you can man up and toughen up. And especially right, when right. you're younger, God, we just go nonstop. But right. as you get older, it's like, yeah, dude, it's like that's that's just figuring it out. Yeah. And like I said, the the the, the myth of normal and that everybody should be one way is just the completely most destructive fucking thing I know. So I agree. I also agree with your with your the thing about being an introvert, like with your dad. I mean, I I used to just. Like now, if I'm completely honest, it's like people are going and doing something. If there's four or if there's more than four or five people going to do whatever it is, I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. It's just too much for me to handle. Like, I don't want to, like, I'm not actually going to hang out with anybody and get to know anybody. It's just too scattered. What I used to is I get wasted. Like Mm -hmm. if I was going to a party or being in places, I'd want to chill out. I just go get wasted to deal with it. So Mm -hmm. I get that thing with your dad. It's like, he's being a salesman. He's pushing himself all this kind of stuff when really he probably needed a lot of time to chill out and wasn't able to find it. And then the booze is a way for it to chill it out. For sure. You know, it was for me, for sure. It's just a bad, bad option. (laughs) (laughs) A bad combo. Yeah. All right. Well, let's finish this off with, uh, I'll hit it from my point of view. And like, just basically like, so when I left in 2007 and, and moved out to the coast and basically you kept on doing your thing at that point, it was like, uh, it was like, so, so I was the, I was a filmer and a director and a producer and, and that was my job. And then there was a photographer and then there, and your job was specifically to snowboard and you would get treated like that was what you needed to concentrate on was that was it. Mm-hmm. And cause also you were doing it at that level. And then, so here I am fast forward, like 11 years later and you invite me out to come shoot this thing with you and I'm hanging out and I haven't done any shooting in 11 Mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. and I come out and I just see like it's like I went to the parking lot and everybody's sitting in the parking lot and I was just I was I was just confused at how 
like it didn't seem like the filmers knew who was running the show and the writers didn't seem to know like who was running the show mm -hmm. and there's this other thing around where like you just hire a filmer like and he's supposed to hold the camera and like what the fuck is that because like i wasn't a filmer like like back in the day i was the i was the director i was the producer mm -hmm. and everybody knew what we were going to do and there was a total clear focus all this kind of stuff and now i come to see and it's like you're holding cameras you're taking photos mm -hmm. you're like you're you're telling me that like a shot for like an instagram post is actually better than shooting a banger mm -hmm. like I, I don't even understand I and know. and so basic and it's not bad i just don't mm -hmm. get i don't i don't get it and it's like that must be a weird thing to be like like how much that has changed right, right. and and the and the whole industry is trying to figure itself out is that correct or what's your I, I think that is like a, a legitimate take on on what's going on because you know like 10 years ago or whatever my my prime focus was get shots yeah you know get, yeah show up ready to get these shots like get you know? shot not yeah. get shots but yeah. get shot like yeah, you're yeah. the you're the yeah. you're the talent yeah you're the yeah 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 and yeah. i and you know like when it you know there was a few other things i did here and there like after shooting was wrapped like edit and help with some direction and stuff but it was never my you know i didn't have to worry about so many things that i do now like just it's almost like what like a producer filmer would do is now being kind of like split up and delegated like each writer almost has like all those responsibilities for like his own brand in a way you know yeah, what i mean yeah 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 so it's like now now i gotta i don't know I, if i can really speak for everyone but it seems like what it is is everyone kind of has to generate their own content you know what yeah. i mean and i i've i've been into filming like filming skateboarding and stuff back in the day and me and jeremy used to film each other with our own vx camera skating so we naturally kind of took that into filming each other snowboarding back in the day especially like the handrail stuff because we wanted it shot certain ways and stuff so some of their some of that early video footage in like resistance and true life is just stuff of me and jeremy passing our camera back and forth to each other that we used for skating you know mm -hmm. so i've been you know i i i do have like kind of some background in like creating my own content that way you know mm -hmm. but now it's like you know you I've got my own DSLR camera to like take my own photos and create my own images and you got to do that. And this sponsor needs their images and this sponsor needs their images. And I got to do a story and I got to do an Instagram post and I got to get some, you got to get so much shit, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, how are you supposed to now with less money to travel and hire good shooters uh -huh. and less options for jumps because we fucking hit them all yeah. and and rails and spots that are even harder to find and less snow because it doesn't even snow anymore. And so now more obligations and do all that and still get hammer clips. With with, with, le with less options. With less, more obligations. Basically less every everything, but like keep doing the same thing you've been doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, it's kind of mind altering. You know? <laughs> it and sounds it, it pretty mind altering. It, yeah, and then it's, it's just disappointing when you like, you know, I don't want to sound like bitter jaded, obviously, but it just when we made those movies back in the day, they were going on a VHS tape and we there was a certain length of time they were going to be, you know, yeah, yeah. they're going to be around 35 minutes, you know. Mm -hmm. And so and there was a certain amount of guys filming for those videos. So there's and there's no DVD extras, anything. So there's only a certain amount of footage that's going to go into this thing. It's only going to be the very, 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 very best, you know? Mm -hmm. So to go from that mentality of like, if I want to have like a good show in this video, I got to go in and get hammer footage and it's got to be 
off the meat rack everything mm-hmm. from like trick selection to gear to like what color do rag is that yeah to, yeah. to everything yeah you know? yeah yeah to like i can basically put up anything and if it fucking is the right time and the right person posts it it might fucking hit hard and get all these views and likes and for some reason that supposedly means something yeah it's just discouraging you know yeah and it's yeah. just like i kind of actually recently kind of kicked out of instagram like for it's probably i've probably been off of it for like a week and a half now or something i actually feel pretty good because i was getting to the point where i was like i'd open it up and you get you get kind of pissed off at what you see because you see people that you don't know maybe doing something sick so you're like kind of jealous like oh that's sick you know like looks like they're having fun but then you even see your friends doing something that maybe you weren't with and you're like damn my friends are having fun yeah so yeah. even if you even if you see something that someone's doing and you don't even know them or care about them that's one thing to be to be like man that sucks those guys are like having fun <laughs> but it, when you see your friends doing something sick and you're bummed, that's not good. That's not good. No, <laughs> you know no, what no, I mean? no, 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 no. You know what it's I mean? Like, yeah, and not, yeah. not, it's, it's not like a FOMO thing. It's just like a, it's just like, I could just imagine like, you know, if like Jeremy put up a, a clip right now and, and he's hurt, you know, but even if I saw him put up a clip of him like cruising on the snow skaters, I'd be like, damn, I wish I was there with him, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I guess I'm stoked that he's out cruising, but at the same time, it's like still like I wish I was there. It looks like a fucking sick day at Brighton, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that just doesn't seem very like healthy. healthy. You or, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and what you know you're what talking I mean? about is like instant imagery, instant, instant like people posting stuff. It's, it's. It, I mean, what that does on a psychological level, it's not good. Yeah. It's like to break it all down very simply. To not have depression, anxiety is to be in the present moment. It's called being present and mm-hmm. being in the moment. That's all we got in the moment. Well, what was that thing you said about anxiety is... Oh, yeah. So anxiety anxiety can generally be living in the future and depression can be living in the past. Mm -hmm. And so basically, if you're thinking about the past, then you're you're depressed. Thinking about the future can be very... And the actual reality is... you're, you you know, if you're in the moment, actually, w- the only thing that's happening right now is I'm staring across a table at you mm-hmm. in the podcast suite. That's all that's happening. And if mm-hmm. we're sitting there looking at Instagram and stuff, we're getting taken out of the moment. And that on a psychological, the chemical, whatever level, just, just, it, it's not good. It mm-hmm. basically, it creates all kinds of messed up dopamine levels in our brains and everything. And it creates that whole thing of FOMO. Totally. I want to be there. And it, it takes you out of the current moment and puts you into a moment. And you wished you were someone you weren't, which takes you out of the moment, which means, and then anxiety mm-hmm. right there, depression totally. right there. Yeah. So and, like, and being like someone that puts sick shit up, you would like, like I don't put, post a lot of stuff on Instagram, but most of the stuff I do probably looks pretty epic to the average person. And I'm, and so you think that I'd be like one of these dudes, it's all good. Everything's epic. I'm doing all this sick shit, but I'm still opening it up and getting pissed as if I had a, like a nine to five and couldn't, can't even snowboard because I got like kids it, and all these responsibilities. You know what yeah, I mean? yeah. <laughs> so it takes you out of the moment, even though yeah. you are probably the closest to being one of those people who yeah. gets to spend all their time out in the snow and everything. Yeah. And then you get your mind worked by getting online and doing that. Yeah. yeah. It's just not a good place to be. I don't know. It's just, for me, it doesn't work, I guess, just because of where I came from with what I was saying about like VHS and like basically a a limited way to get your stuff out to now, like there's so much shit out there. It's like too much to process for me. You know what I mean? Like I get, I can see like if you came up in that or you're a younger kid, you like that. It can level the playing field because now it's like, you know, you could just be some no one. You get like a hammer clip and and put it up and it runs. Mm -hmm. Then maybe like you get, you, you get some love, get your name out. You know what I mean? But 
for me, it doesn't really play. No, dude, well, no, no, no. And, and, and actually, I'm glad it doesn't because yeah. here's the thing is, luckily for you, you've lived in a time when we didn't have that and same with me. And here's the thing, because I know you like learning about things and and another episode and another time and, and we'll spend some, I'll show you what that stuff does to your brain and I guarantee you, you'll be off off any of that shit because it's just not worth it. Like, mm-hmm. And if if sponsors and things like that need it, then it's probably going to be better to find someone to help post it for you. But to stay mm-hmm. off it, like what it does to your brain, like same thing, dude. Like here's here it is. I'm going to bring it all back right now. What the fuck does you paying attention to Instagram have to do with you being the best snowboarder you can be? Exactly. Why are you concentrating on what other people are doing when you know as well as I do? If you want to be good at something, focus on what you're doing and not be focused on anybody else. Dude, those movies and those parts wouldn't have been filmed, in my opinion, or made if we had Instagram and Facebook. I would have been so distracted and looking at what everybody was doing and worried about whatever, whereas we could just focus on something for a year and be done. And there was Mm -hmm. a movie done at the end of the year and we had something to show people. Mm -hmm. That's not even doable anymore. Like it's so scattered. So anyway, we've sprayed, we've sprayed long enough, but uh, anyway, thanks for coming over to Victoria. Is this where I get weird? No, I don't get weird. No, thanks for coming over (laughs) Victoria and thanks for shooting this. And it's been super sick, like reconnecting with you and, and, and you actually inviting me out to shoot with you again. And I've been loving it. And I don't want to sound like this hater on things. I'm not, I'm still Mm -hmm. stoked. And if anything, I want to figure out how to make it good again, mm-hmm. um, how to make snowboarding good again, how to make that whole thing around what what's expected of mm-hmm. people. Like, I want to figure that out, not not just shit on it and walk away. It's like, how do you make it so everybody's contributing and actually doing something good and not being all confused? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, dude, yeah, thanks for coming out. No doubt. All right. Cheers. Peace. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much for listening. And, uh, you know, I, I want to get across, you know, reminder that I'm not telling people that this is the way things are and they have to do anything a certain way. Uh, my hope is that, you know, if someone's listening to this, they can relate to some of it, you know, take some of it, leave some of it, whatever. It's just, but I think that generally the most important thing is that people are willing to talk about stuff that isn't just how awesome their life is all the time. And that it actually is a balance. I used to say balance is for losers, (laughs) but uh, I've grown up a bit since then and I'm working on it. I used to, I used to actually think that balance was for the weak and, uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I've kind of become a little bit more human in that. And, uh, yeah, it's actually easier to be human when actually I'm not trying to be perfect all the time because that was painful. Anyway, um, yeah, there's me being weird and staring at a wall. All right. I'll talk to you later. Yeah!